This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Journey with us to a magical land of brave warriors, epic quests, and 80s nostalgia. It's the never-ending story, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's the start of our first ever springtime series, mini-series. We're doing the never-ending story uh two parts of it there's a third movie but we will not be talking about that for many reasons mainly which being it's not based on a book but (laughs) (laughs) that we know of uh, (laughs) that we know of uh but that voice you just heard is our guest host for the next two episodes april Edmansky. april welcome back you joined us for the holes episode we're glad you could join us for the never-ending story that's right i'm glad to be back and uh glad to be covering uh a movie and uh, a book that I very much enjoy and that uh, means a lot to me. Fantastic. We've been looking for uh, the perfect thing to get you back on, and we think we found it. This is it, <laughs> the never-ending story. Uh, real quick, before we get started, uh, why don't you go ahead and plug anything real quick? We'll plug again at the end, but just obviously no such thing as a bad movie podcast. Tell us what that is. Well, it's a bi-weekly podcast that I host with uh, Colin Cunningham and Justin DeClue, and we talk about um, bad movies, and uh, we try and uh, each pick something that we liked about them, and uh, pretty much every episode we're able to find at least something that we like about um, these mm-hmm. movies, and you know, we, we uh, joke around and uh, chat about them, and uh, we also have uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash no such thing as a bad movie, where we do a little mini episode every two weeks, so like a 20 30 minute episode on more topical movies and uh yeah uh that's uh that's my podcast cool yeah and if uh, anybody listening to this which we have lots of people who are crossover fans from good bad or bad bad mm. many of them probably already know about no such thing as a bad movie podcast but if you don't if you like good bad or bad bad i highly recommend no such thing as a bad movie pod uh they've covered a cu- covered a couple of the movies we've done mm-hmm. uh I think I, I've, I've listened to at least three or four that you covered that we covered. Oh yeah, more, Ar- more did than you guys do Ben and Arthur? Yes, we did. Yes, and and uh, uh, vibrations. It's your theme song is yes. vibrations, which uh, is fantastic. I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to eventually be like, "Hey, um, don't use this song. Uh, I, I own it." Um, but no one's ever said anything, so um, that's our there theme you go. song. You're flying under the radar right now. Fantastic, but yeah, go check out No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Pod. But for now, it's time to jump in. We have all of our segments. Is that correct? Yes. Fantastic. All of our segments. Let's get into our first one with Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. All right. I tried to make this as concise as I could. (laughs) The never-ending story follows two intertwining plots. The first plot is set in the real world and follows Bastion, a little boy who's reading a book called The Never-Ending Story. 
The second plot follows what is happening in the story that he's reading. A magical land, Fantasia in the movie and Fantastica in the book, is in danger of disappearing. The empress of the land sends a brave warrior, Atreyu, to find a cure for her illness, which will also save the land. The two plots intertwine, mostly following Atreyu, but intermittently bouncing back to Bastion, until the real world and the world of the story completely collide, and it is revealed that only Bastion can save the magical realm from total destruction. That is very similar to the movie. I mean, identical, essentially. I mean, I I assume you left out the details that aren't identical, but... it's the basic plot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. It's interesting because the thing that I thought was going to be, and we'll get to it, obviously, the thing that I thought was going to be weird about, because it's, uh, for people who don't know, the first movie is based on, like, roughly the first half-ish of the book, and the second movie is based on, or, yeah, is based on the second half roughly loosely, Mm -hmm. and um, I thought it was going to be really interesting to see how they did an entire narrative that, like, wrapped up in a satisfying way in the first movie if it's like the middle point of the book and so i guess we'll talk about that once we get to the next you know to the second part but i was like Mm -hmm. did they like change they must have changed the ending and we'll see if they did or not but to me it felt like they would have had to change the ending Mm -hmm. to to make us an ending for the first movie to make it an actual to make it an actual ending because otherwise i guess it's like if it was lord of the rings you know it's like when they get to like rivendell that would be where the movie ended or think about um the last twilight the two movies where it's like uh we found a point where it could end like where she becomes a vampire it seemed like logical um although in that case like the second movie it's like i don't know if they had enough for a whole movie no (laughs) No, that, that's not quite. Way. But yeah, that that is a good comparison too, because that did the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, let's get into it now that everybody's caught up. In case you know the three people who haven't seen the Neverending Story, uh, I'm sure there's some Zoomers who haven't seen the Neverending Story. But <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I had not seen it. I, I don't think ever before. I I before don't this? know. I have like some vague memories from when I was a kid, but really? I don't know if I, I didn't know. I thought watched you it or if I just like caught a piece of it or maybe I started watching it and then I was scared and I turned it off. It's <laughs> definitely sure. Which older. Is totally possible. It's older than I thought. Isn't it 1983 yeah. or 84? Yeah, yeah. So I was born in 87. So, but I like grew up watching it. So I was like, oh, this actually came out like a while before, before yeah. I was even born. I was surprised yeah. at that. And we talked about it on the prequel, and we'll get into it more, but I was a big... I remember watching the second one a ton. Like, that was the one that I grew up with more so than the first one, I guess, because it came out probably around when I... I think the I second one came, came out, out, like, 1990, so that so, yeah, would, yeah. It would have been closer yeah. to the range of when, like, yeah, or, I mean, I was two, but... That, that really surprised me that that someone would be more familiar with the second one than the first one, just because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never, never met anyone that, where that yeah. was the case. And I have seen the second one, but... I saw it like once when I was a kid and I remember like nothing from it basically and haven't seen it yeah. since I read the book. So, um, and we can get into that, uh, later, yeah, well, later. Yeah, we yeah. got a long way to go. So we're, we're, <laughs> we don't need to add extra time here. All right. We've got our gate. Well, uh, lots of people to guess, uh, in our game show portion, which is guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Hey. A fat little boy of 10 or 12, his wet, dark brown hair hung over his face, his coat was soaked and dripping. He was rather pale and out of breath. Uh, okay. 
Well, um, I mean, the wet, dark brown hair hanging hangover. Well, not Bastion is never wet in this movie, except for at the end when it's raining, I guess, at the store. He's not even outside, so that doesn't count. But <laughs> he does have brown hair, and it's kind of long. Um, he's not large in any way in the movie. He's like a, a very, like, sort of shrimpy little kid, you know, which is, like, the kind of typical kid that would get picked on by bullies in 80s movies is like a more yeah. like scrawny kind of scrawny kid. undersized little yeah, yeah. very ner- um, nerdy looking yeah. yeah so i would but i'm still gonna guess that this is probably bastion it is bastion yes my only other guess would have been one of the bullies but i i mean i don't know any of their names they're just like bully <laughs> one two and three so i assumed it wasn't one of them <laughs> nailed it one for one all right let's go april next one okay His long trousers and shoes were of soft buffalo leather. His body was bare from the waist up, but a long purple-red cloak, evidently woven from buffalo hair, hung from his shoulders. His long blue-black hair was gathered together and held by leather thongs. A few simple white designs were painted on the olive-green skin of cheeks and forehead. Hmm. Okay, well, it seems uh, pretty obvious that this would be a Treyu. I don't know who else it would be uh, based on the movie. Um, it's Obviously, there's some departures from the, the character in the movie. We don't have, like, he doesn't wear, have any face paint in the film, mm-hmm. um, at least not in this one. I think he might at times in the second one. I can't remember. It's been so long. And his hair isn't super long. I mean, it's pretty long, but it's not long enough that he has to have it, like, tied back. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still going to say that this is obviously a Treyu. Yeah, it is a That's Treyu. correct. Okay. Did, <laughs> did you see the IMDb trivia where they were like, we tried to paint him green in the movie, but it looked so bad we had to just scrap it. <laughs> oh, I did see that one. And I was confused because I I didn't, I just kind of glanced over it and I, it didn't make sense to me. So I just, yeah. I didn't put it in the prequel. But I, I, I was thinking they meant like his whole body green. And I was like, why would they paint his whole body green? <laughs> I mean, his skin's green. Wait, is he? Yeah. In the book, uh, olive, yeah. Olive oh, skin. I misread. Okay, so I was correct. <laughs> I misread yeah. this where it said, I thought, sorry, a few white designs are painted on the olive green skin. I was misread. I, in my head, I was thinking like white and green designs like on his skin. He has green skin. That's interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting choice because I feel like it would it would make you look like an alien. Yeah. I feel like if you just had green skin. What kind of tracks in the sense that, like, all of the other characters in this movie are, like, alien looking? Like, all of the other people on in Fantasia or Fantastica or whatever in that courtroom, which we'll talk about, are all, none of them look like humans in any yeah, capacity they're not really humanoid. Than, no. Maybe, I mean, Charon or whatever, whatever that guy, the... The guy that comes out and is like speaking for the Empress or whatever, he's kind of humanoid and he just has like some, he has like the Star Trek alien version, you know, he's got some mm-hmm. stuff glued on his head. But <laughs> yeah, I, everybody else is like full on not, oh, and I guess the, the what's his name? The Deep Roy's character. We'll get to, oh, yeah. maybe he's one of the next ones coming up. He's also kind of a humanoid. But anyways, let's move on. Katie, go ahead. <laughs> A short, stout man in a rumpled black suit that looked frayed and somehow dusty. His paunch was held in by a vest with a flower design. He was bald except for outcroppings of white hair over his ears. His red face suggested a vicious bulldog. A gold-rimmed pince-nez was perched on his bulbous nose. He was smoking a curved pipe which dangled from the corner of his mouth and pulled his whole cheek out of shape. Well, that has to be, and I don't, 
know if he has a name in the movie. Uh, I assume he does, but I don't think it's ever said. That would be the bookshop owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. It's like it's got to um, be his smoking a pipe. And... Mr. Coriander. Is that? Yeah. I think maybe it was on like the, the shop window, but I'm like, not, painted I'm not sure if you even yeah. see that in the movie. Yeah. I don't remember, but yeah, it's is like the only one. Is that how you say pince? I always thought it was pince-nez. I looked it up, and according to Google, it's pince. I don't even know what that is. Is that glasses? <laughs> it's the little glasses that just like pinch your nose okay. and like sit there. Yeah. That don't have like the. Because I was like, I was typing it out, and I was like, I'm not sure I know how to pronounce that. So I looked it up, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not what I would have guessed. No, I never even knew those had a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it is French, so the, the nay makes sense like pon- yeah. on the second half. Ponce nay. Like, but it's probably yeah. ponce nay yeah. instead of pants nay. <laughs> but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Three for three, crushing it. Go ahead, April. Okay, next one. He saw nothing but a very strange face bent over him. It was the wrinkliest, shriveledest face he had ever seen, and only about the size of a fist. It was as brown as a baked apple, and the eyes in it glittered like stars. The head was covered with a bonnet made of withered leaves. Okay, I don't... This is the first one that is difficult. He saw nothing but a uh, wrinkliest, shriveledest face he'd ever seen, only about the size of a fist. Brown as a baked apple, eyes and glitters... Head is covered in a bonnet made with leaves. Um, <laughs> I mean, the only there's only a couple characters that make sense to me. One is, and I again, I know Deep Roy's character, but I don't think him and assuming this is from Bastion's perspective or Atreyu's perspective, I don't. Does Atreyu ever even meet that character? Which character? Uh, Teeny Weeny or whatever his name is. The tiny. is that his name it's in that's in the book no he has a name but i don't remember what it is but he is a tiny that's the name of sorry but he's not tiny in the movie actually (laughs) okay and then and then the other one was the the old guy with the the telescope Mm -hmm. would be the other choice or the other thought i would have had and so i'm gonna go with that guy it's actually this is kind of a trick because it's actually his wife Oh, oh the, the, I actually yeah. I the, I was thought it was Ng Ng Wook. <laughs> yeah, Ng Wook or whatever. Yeah. His name they is. look so it's similar. I know uh, whose yeah. name is Urgel, I think. Yeah, Urgel and Ng Wook. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if we ever know her name in the movie or not. I'm pretty remember. sure they say Ng Wook, but yeah, yeah. It's something. It is because I saw it in the credits. It is something like Ng Wook or something. Interesting. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Go ahead. He had the body of a man from the waist up and that of a horse from the waist down. And he was furthermore a black centaur. His human half was the color of ebony. Only his curly hair and beard were white, while the horse-like half of him was striped like a zebra. There's no centaurs in this movie, Katie. You can't this do this. Characters in the movie. Yeah, another okay. trick question. Uh, who would uh, is Artax a centaur in the book? Because that would be wild if Atreus riding around on a centaur in the, in the book. Um, I uh, uh, I'm trying to even think who else. I guess this could be okay because the character's black. So the only black character in the movie is the guy, uh, the Empress's. Mm-hmm. What I don't even know his name. They never say it. He's in one scene, uh, so I'm gonna say that character. Okay, I, I think his name is pronounced um, Charon. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Charon. Charon. But I was like, that's a Greek Chiron. thing. Yeah, something. Yeah. Like that. Um, 
who I believe, I believe he's actually a character from like Greek mythology. Yeah, Charon is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, he that it is that character. Yes. They just didn't make him a centaur. Yeah, they didn't make okay. him a centaur. I was like, oh, they probably didn't want to try and make that but look at all the different things they made <laughs> yeah. like they could Everything have done it made. yeah yeah i feel like a centaur <laughs> he's only in that one scene yeah. and he just stands there they could have made him a centaur yeah that's true he just kind of walks out and sits there they could have just know, like they... shot the second half of a horse and then had him like stand in front of it and kind of frame <laughs> yeah. it so you can't see <laughs> would have been fine would have been fine uh, at least i got it all right go ahead last one she seemed infinitely frail and delicate her almond-shaped eyes, the color of dark gold, were serene and untroubled. Her slight body was wrapped in ample in an ample silken gown which gleamed so white that the magnolia petals seemed dark beside it. She looked like an indescribably beautiful little girl of no more than ten, but her long, smoothly combed hair, which hung down over her shoulders, was as white as snow. Okay, so I, that's I've rather obvious that this is the childlike empress, but... Um, a distinct, you know, a very obvious change is that she does not have snow white hair mm-hmm. in the film. She has like brown hair, that's, black hair, something like that. That's correct. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> I think it does make sense to not have her hair white just from a visual design. Like mm-hmm. that would be a lot of white. It would be very like. It, she would blend yeah. in a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Completely blend into the background. <laughs> She's already a very uh, white character. I, I didn't think that we would be able to do guess who because in this book every character is like a different species so i thought yeah. that it yeah. would like give it away a lot more but hey i mean we, yeah. you know we, we did make it work i mean yeah <laughs> I, I did leave out some of the more obvious ones like yeah. the the rock giant yeah, yeah. I was, I, that's what i was wondering <laughs> well and, and it's funny because you had some that were you know that were other species but ended up being kind of trick questions mm-hmm. or not trick questions but like the centaur one made it made it more difficult than it it would have been otherwise, probably. All right. Uh, what did I do? Five for six? Not bad. Not bad. We've got... I have a ton of questions about this this movie and this book, so let's find out some of those answers in... Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, so just a, a reminder. We, we did talk about this at the end of our prequel episode, but... Um, so April and I both read the book this time, but I stopped halfway through at the stopping point of the movie, of the movie mm-hmm. and April went ahead and read the whole book. So she has foreknowledge that you do yes. not. That's right. <laughs> April she is can the keeper see into of the, the future. <laughs> so first question, uh, this is a very typical 80s movie setup, I feel like. And I wanted to know if it was pulled from... The, when did the book come out, did we discuss? 1979? 70 70, 79, I okay. think, yeah. So, yeah, right around the same. Not not too long before the movie. It's five years before, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the setup for Bastion's character is he's got dead mom, uh, and he has this sort of typical 80s standoff relationship with his dad who just, like, wants him to grow up and fly right and stop daydreaming and, and being a little dweeb. Um, and his dad is like kind of like absent. He's you know he's like a typical business, he's like a business he's, dad. Business dad, exactly. Uh, and I was just wondering if any of that was more pulled from like the the sort of standard '80s tropes, or if that was straight out of the book. Um, I feel like it's like kind of six of one. Okay. There, um, his mom is dead okay. in the book. 
And Bastion describes his dad as basically being like physically present, but absent in every other way. Yeah. And he thinks that this is because he disappoints his dad. Um, and, and as an adult reading it, I got more of a vibe that like his dad was really depressed and either couldn't or didn't know how to comfort and relate to his kid. I don't know if we revisit that relationship, relationship in the second right half gotcha. of the book or not. April, what's your your input? Well, we do get back to it in the second half, but um, it's weird because it's almost like um, Bastion and his father kind of switched a little bit in the movie because in the book, Bastion's father like doesn't talk to him like ever. He seemingly like oh, doesn't okay. talk to anybody. He's like barely functioning he's just like going through the motions of life Mm -hmm. and so like bastion's like thinking about it and he's like um talking about how horrible it was when his mother died but day after day it slowly got better and better and he would sit in the in like in you know the living room with his dad at night and be like why doesn't he talk to me like just to have like company and his father will be there like holding a book but not even reading it which is like, yeah. So he clearly is Super like depressing. horribly like depressed and yeah, uh, yeah. like he uh, gives like Bastion everything he could have wanted. Like he has like tons of books and he says he has like a hamster and toys, but he doesn't have like his, he doesn't feel like he has like his love anymore. And yeah. that's kind of why Bastion kind of runs away in the book. Uh, like after he steals like the book from the bookstore, he's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going home today. I'll never, I, he probably, like my dad probably won't even notice I'm gone. That's gotcha. kind of, it's a very childish thing to think, but you know, he's right. a kid. I think that, I think they, I think it is a similar idea comes across in both. I think the movie does go a little bit more towards like, not so much that the dad is depressed, but more of like, like you said, that he just doesn't know how to like handle mm-hmm. the situation with his kid. Yeah. Um, because I, I could, I think you could read the depiction in the movie as like, he's still dealing with the, the, the grief and the loss and is sort of depressed because he is sort of, you know, monotone and doesn't, he seems to be going through the motions of yeah. like trying to be a dad, but he is at least going through the motions. Whereas it sounds like in the book, he's like not even getting to that level of like, kind of going through the motions in the same way so yeah it's interesting it's a slightly different depiction but it kind of hits the same beats yeah cool all right does bastion get thrown into a dumpster this is another 80s trope i mean it's still a trope (laughs) uh, of the bullies throwing kids in dumpsters which i don't know if has ever happened in real life but i'm sure it has Sure, it's happened to somebody I, i know i'm sure it has but uh, to me, that's just one of those things that's like happens in movies all the time and probably happens almost never in real life. But yeah. like occasionally uh, is that from the book? Oh, we don't ever actually interact with the bullies, at least oh. not at the beginning of the book. Oh, OK. Interesting. We, uh, we enter the book with Bastion running into the store, gotcha. into the bookshop. So is he running from bullies? Yes. OK, so he is running. From yeah, bullies, but we but don't they, like they, he doesn't. Them. OK, we're just like immediately into the bookshop. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so. This is an important one to me because I'm a lover of props. I love cool props. <laughs> we talked about it in the prequel episode, uh, how we found that you can buy the exact replica of this, the never ending story on Etsy for like $130. And I want to know if the description in the book, if that we get a description of the never ending story in the book and if it is at all resembles what we see in the film. Uh, yes, I would say it looks exactly the same, um, except really? the Orin symbol is slightly different. Uh, in the book, it's just two snakes that form a circle um and then in, in the movie they're kind of like they're intertwined kind of like and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's seemingly gotcha. the only difference it looks pretty much exactly the same cool oh that's awesome i love when because that was one of the things that was disappointing about jumanji 
was like the board game in Jumanji. I mean, it's a it's a picture of a kid's book, but the yeah. board game in Jumanji is just like a, a just like a monopoly. Like a it's game. just like a cardboard yeah. board game, and the one in the movie is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Does so this is the vibe I got in the movie with the shopkeeper was that he like tr- he kind of like he's like that you know he's like Santa kind of mm-hmm. like in in some movies where he like he kind of sees in Bastion that he's this smart kid you know who's read all kinds of stuff and he kind of sort of and and sees that he's going through something and sort of like trick like honey pots him into taking he he gives him the opportunity yeah yeah he's like maybe i'll just leave this book here that you definitely shouldn't read uh and then walks away (laughs) uh is that how it plays out in the book because that's always a fun i like that kind of trope in movies uh that wasn't the implication that i got reading the book um, he does go to answer the phone and yeah. that's when Bastion snatches the book, but we don't get like a knowing smile. Which would from be hard. Him or I feel like that would be hard to depict in the book because it's yeah. from his it's from yeah. uh, Bastion's perspective, I would assume. So like we're not see like because the, the, the sort of knowing wink we get from the bookkeeper in the in the movie mm-hmm. we see as the audience, but Bastion doesn't see. Right. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, yeah, that does make sense. It's funny you just mentioned Jumanji because it's kind of like that in the book where he's oh, okay. uh, he's like drawn to this book and he doesn't really know why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like oh, the, okay. the, the Jumanji game. But like in the movie, the bookshop owner is like, you know, this is a book that you yeah. will like you will be. <laughs> he basically says you'll be sucked into it kind of. So, yeah. so he doesn't yeah. say anything like that in, uh, in the novel, I don't believe. Gotcha. No. OK. I love that trope in movies, though, where there's like the old, you know, where they're like, oh, don't, don't. No, you definitely can't. Don't do this. Don't do it. No. And then just like leave it there and walk away. So once we get into Fantasia, he grabs the book. Yeah, he runs off and he starts reading it. Um, and the first three characters we run into in Fantasia or Fantastica, uh, depending on which we should, I guess we should explain. That. You did mention it in the thing, but in the book, it is Fantastica. And yeah, they, the movie, they changed the name of the, the magical realm, which I'm sure you may have notes on later. So we'll or a note on later. So we'll just wait on that discussion. But um, the first three people we run into when we get into Fantasia are um, I think he's I think I really, truly think he's called Teeny Weenie in the movie. I think that's his credit I'm on IMDb. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Um, played by Deep Roy, um, maybe what most well known for playing the uh, Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, among a bunch mm-hmm. of he's been in tons of stuff. But and then uh, there's and then it's the other character, the um, well, obviously Rockbiter. And then I don't even know, like a troll or something. He, he's what called a night hob. Okay. He kind of looks yeah. like, so like a, a goblin. goblin thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I love in the movie they all have their own cool, unique vehicle. Like Rockbiter's driving a rock motorcycle, and the the <laughs> goblin is flying on a bat hang glider, and uh, Deep Roy is riding on a super fast snail. And I was into that, and I wanted to know if that's in the book. Uh, yep, they all make an appearance in that exact scene in yes. the book, and said the only difference is um, uh, Deep Roy's character is supposed to be tiny because he's tiny, so he's supposed to be smaller than everybody yeah. else. But he still has a racing snail. There's an extra yes. character in that scene, but they just kind of cut them out because uh, uh, not not uh, the the willow. Yeah, not really necessary mm. yeah. for the movie. So. Yeah. What is the willow? Is by just now. I'm it's intrigued. like a little, little, little glowing like person that is in like a glowing orb and like darts around the place. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like they were like that's too hard. We, just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we already got too much stuff going on. There's a lot going on in that yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, so then we move forward quite a bit. Uh, or my question is forward quite a bit. We we get to the throne. It's not even that far forward. I guess they're all going to the same place, and we get to the throne room and the white, white tower. What is it called? The ivory, ivory tower. tower. And the 
Uh, we get to the throne room, and we mentioned it earlier, but it is full of just the, the strangest creatures. And I really wanted to know how many of these are described in any detail in the book. Uh, is that in particular the ones that stuck out to me is the big rock-headed things that are like I don't they they're just like giant heads on tiny little pedestals or something. And then there's like people with two faces. And then there's also a giant elephant person. And I wanted to know if any of those things are specifically mentioned in the book or if we get more of like a vague sort of. And then all the people of Fantasia gathered or something. I don't yeah, know. it's definitely more vague in the book. I didn't go back and read that section, but they mm-hmm. talk about like, oh, like there was like goblins and vampires and and this. They say they say vampires, which is funny. They have vampires? That's yeah, and they're yeah. just like this. And then. So they kind of just list them off. And I don't think any of those characters were in that list but um much later in the second half of the book um the big rock-headed things and the people with two faces do show up uh in the second half of the book they actually have like four head faces on each side of their head okay and they have like a name and everything uh don't recall any elephant people though I, I will say that the four-headed person people you just mentioned, I have a vivid memory of from the second movie. Yeah, oh, so that makes sense. That, and They yeah. definitely show up in the second movie, because and it, like, spins, and they, like, talk in different things. Yeah, I yeah. remember, it's, remember yeah. it being super cool. Like, I remember thinking it was super cool when yeah, I was that, a kid. That uh, scene in the movie made me think of, like, a, like a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Like, yes. a slightly cheaper production <laughs> value, like. Yeah. Well, this is a higher production than a Doctor Who episode for sure. I mean, sure. like just the look of it. Oh yeah, where it's just like the weirdest. It's like, and then an elephant person. Yeah, like, and then if happening? you look closely, yeah, there's just like people in weird costumes. I yeah. noticed that yeah. this time. Yeah, you got to fill it out. You got to fill out yeah. in between all your super expensive like makeup jobs. You got to have just some people in wigs yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So the the whole purpose for this meeting is that Atreyu, uh, they're, they're, the the um. The nothing is coming. The Empress is sick because of the nothing, and she's dying. And their only hope is Atreyu, the great warrior, who then shows up and is a kid. Um, and I, I wanted to know if this almost could have been a, a lost adaptation because I want. I felt like it wasn't really explained much in the movie, and it doesn't really need to be. And we'll get to some of that later. But the he's sort of presented as their final hope and that sort of thing. And I thought there was like, was there supposed to be a prophecy or something that I missed maybe potentially? Um, and then the other thing was then they're surprised when he's a kid. Does that all that play out the same way in the book? Because it felt a little like, I don't know, just felt a little strange to me in the movie. Um, so unless I missed something, there's no prophecy in the book. Uh, so the Empress instructs, Kron mm-hmm. to retrieve a great warrior named Atreyu from his homeland. Um, so Atreyu is actually not at the Ivory Tower at, oh, that, at that time. Point. Yeah, okay. he goes to get him. Gotcha. Um, and then when he arrives, um, Kron is surprised to find that Atreyu is just a kid. But we don't know what the Empress's motivations are at that point. And so... Gotcha. I think that they Which just we also don't in the movie. Yeah, I think they just say that um oh um no one really understands why the childlike empress makes these decisions and we can't quest yeah. it's unfathomable yeah. but she's wiser than everybody so we just have to do what she says. Pretty that much. makes sense. Okay. Because it is funny that it does seem like in the movie they don't mention a prophecy at this point but then and it's a question I have here later they get to the end and there is in the movie there are these murals that seem to be like prophetic murals of mm-hmm, yeah um of atreyu's journey to get to the end of the the movie basically and that almost made it seem like there was some prophecy that just wasn't 
mentioned or so, you know what I mean? Cause he gets, and it is an Oracle that he's going to visit. Um, right. I believe the, like the murals is actually after the Oracle. Um, Oh, right, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That is after the Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's after everything. Yeah. Right. Anyways. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Okay. And then this is another thing. So then the movie, I forgot about this and I've only seen this one a few times, but I forgot that the movie just kind of like montages through like everything Atreyu does until he gets to the swamp of sorrow or sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I was feeling, I bet in the book we get like at least some snippets of his adventures before like (laughs) our tax dies. Maybe not, but like, uh, I was just wondering (laughs) if we get any more expansion on the adventures of Atreyu before the swamp of sadness. There is kind of a book montage where he passes through like different, like kind of locations throughout Fantasia. Uh, he does meet some bark trolls before he gets to the swamp of sadness. Um, so there, there's like a scene where he meets these bark trolls and parts of them are gone because only some of them has been affected by the nothing. So there's one that like oh, has right. no legs. Yeah. yeah. It has like um, half a head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, there's also a plot point during that part of the story where Atreyu keeps having a recurring dream about a giant purple buffalo which is what tells him to go see Morla, the ancient one. So that's how he ends up on the path. I felt like they were like, that's too confusing. We'll just skip that. (laughs) Yeah. Like Carrion mentions the purple Buffalo in that scene where he's like, yeah, he's like, people of the green skin tribe who hunt the purple oh, buffalo. Yes, that's right. But that's yeah, really yeah, yeah. all you get of of yeah. Atreus kind of uh, tribe life's yeah, uh, his backstory. backstory. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um okay. Um how in the movie does he know to go see Morla? I remember him saying I I'm blanking on it. it it's like, like a voiceover. Like... Bastion, I think he just like yeah. and then he finally found himself. But yeah, but the yeah, how mountain. did he know to look from I think it's just I feel like there was a point like we montaged a little bit and then at one point he was just like, we should go see, we should try to find more. No, yeah. I think one. Bastion yeah. is again, like he's like reading the book and I think he's just like, yeah. his only hope was to look for Morla, the yeah. oldest yeah. creature. It's just kind of explained in a VO. Oh, and then maybe that, I mean, in the movie, the narrative of the movie that could make sense in that he is influencing the story that him reading that could be the thing that spurs because there are other times mm-hmm. throughout the movie where like mm-hmm. Bastion interacts with the world before, he ever gets you know mm-hmm. yeah like t- before the end of the uh, of the movie and so that could be like yeah that can make sense that's interesting okay i guess that works uh so the scene that scarred a million children the swamps of sadness scene uh i have i have to assume this is from the book because i otherwise there's some cruel filmmaker out there who's just like we got to kill that horse uh does Artax die in the swamp of sadness oh yeah Yes, he does. Oh, he yeah. does, and in the book, Artax talks, and he talks oh, about how yeah. I can't, I can't go on. Um, you know, the the sadness has gotten to me. Um, leave me, don't. I don't want you to see me die. It's, oh, God. it's, it's <laughs> devastating. And I've read it before, but uh, and of course, I cry every time I see that scene in the movie. But like, as soon as I was like, getting to like the beginning of that scene in the book, like tears like yeah. like shot out of my eyes. Um, it's it's awful. It's just. <laughs> yeah you know what i forgot about that scene i've seen that obviously seen it uh several you know a handful of times but i forgot that in the movie i in my head it there isn't music playing in my memory of that scene mm-hmm. but their score plays through that entire scene 
Yeah. And it, it still works, but I was like, I feel like it would be so much more devastating if there was no music and it was just the sounds of like the horse struggling and him. Like to me, that would like because that's how it sticks out in my memory is just like him talking to the horse and the, and for some reason I don't have like music playing <laughs> the smells that. of the score. And I was so keyed in on like the horror of the moment, and so it surprised me that there's like this music playing. I think it still works. It's, it's still a very effective scene. It's just I thought that was interesting because it was not what I remembered at all. Yeah, it's interesting how like different memories kind of come back. Yeah. Like I remember like that music because it almost sounds like a church organ, like a yeah, like yeah, a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a yeah, funeral yeah. song. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Artax has passed away um, for now. Spoilers, he comes back. It's all right, people. Don't worry. He comes back. He gets, re- <laughs> he gets, he gets brought back. Does Morla, he gets to talk to, uh, he has his Avatar The Last Airbender moment, and he, he talks to the giant turtle uh, mm-hmm. that tells him how to save the world, basically. And I was like, wait a second. I've seen this before. Um, obviously, one came well after the other one. But um the uh she keeps sneezing i think i assume she i don't actually know it's a, well it's not bring gender into it it's a giant <laughs> turtle it doesn't matter but morla keeps sneezing on atreyu as like this it's this this running gag throughout the scene uh and we find out that they're she's allergic that they're allergic to atreyu uh and i wanted to know if that that felt like a movie gag that felt like they're like we okay we just had this really sad scene with the horse we got to yeah. lighten the mood a little bit yeah. here and so it felt like a movie ad to me. Uh, yeah, was that's it, it was. Yeah. She's not allergic to children in the book. And I, I also think maybe they added that because otherwise it's just they're just talking. They wanted yeah. some yeah. kind of visual movement to make it more yeah. interesting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They are just yeah. talking. And like I said, it's coming off that last scene. It's like boring talking scene after a sad death scene is like kryptonite for kids. <laughs> I feel like we don't need that. I got to say, I get it. But I didn't love it. I felt like it was goofy in a way that I just I don't personally care for. It, isn't that right. like a trope? I feel like I've seen that in other things, well, but I don't know what. There's the only other thing I could think of that it reminded me of was the scene from Jurassic Park where um, <laughs> yeah Ellie or is it El, whatever her name is the 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 when they're in the trees and the brontosaurus mm-hmm. sneezes on her. Um, oh, yeah. It's pretty similar, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, it's a very yeah. similar. It reminded me of that scene a lot because they're in a tree and get sneezed on. And I was like, that almost feels like a callback to this. But so you had that in better in the book, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Does Atreyu. Uh, oh, so after he gets by he, or he gets done talking to Morla, he knows what he has to do now. And he's trying to get out of the swamp and he's 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 getting sucked into the swamp uh, and he can't get out. And also the Gormok. What is it? The Gormok? The Gamork. Gamork. <laughs> good 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 I'm luck not even sure what you were trying to say first. <laughs> good luck pronouncing any of these names because they're all made yeah. up <laughs> words. <Yeah. laughs> the Gamork is coming after him. Um and at the last second, Falcor swoops in, snatches him up, and saves the day. And it felt like a convenient way for the movie to get from like point A to point B mm-hmm. in a way that maybe the book wouldn't have done. And so I felt like that might have been a movie ad thoughts uh no it's slightly different in the book so he leaves the swamp and he just walks aimlessly and he ends up kind of in a rocky kind of cave area and he meets a giant spider um oh, no. named um so glad that wasn't in the movie. Y- Ygrimal. Y- <laughs> Ygrimal. Ygrimal. yeah sure um and uh so Ygrimal has falcor in her um like web and falcor is mm-hmm. trapped and uh yeah so uh 
uh, Treyu, uh, he wants to like save him, but he doesn't know how. And also, Igrimal isn't actually just a giant spider. It's like several different smaller insects that can be different <laughs> shapes. So it can also be like a big scorpion (laughs) or like a big beetle and it's like changing. It's really creepy and scary. Yeah, Um, it's a nightmare. Yeah, so um, I forget exactly how, but she reveals the secret that um, if you want to escape from here, all you have to do is let me sting you because my poison can transport anybody wherever they want if if they have it in them but i don't tell anybody because why would i do that because i want to eat them so he does and uh and falcor was like listening so anyway he lets her sting he lets her sting him and he wishes himself away somewhere i guess and then he wakes Mm -hmm. up and he's at the scene with the um the gnomes and so that's why the gnomes are like healing them because they were poisoned uh, so that's okay. a little that really like that's sense. a little lost in adaptation thing because it's like yeah. they left it in the movie, but it didn't really yeah. make sense that she, that he had like this wound on his arm and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'm. It is a. It's one of those ways that they kind of just oh, let's just go. Like I said, kind of get from well, point yeah, A to point B. We can't do that creature. That's just insane. No. <laughs> Too scary. Yeah, I mean, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, that would have been terrifying. I'm glad they didn't do that. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have liked that at all. That would have been a super note for me as a kid, too. I mean, yeah. I hated spiders as a kid. I, I still don't like them, but not nearly as much as I did back then. And I also, the idea of seeing Falcor trapped in a spider web is not, is upsetting. Yeah, I don't like that sad. at all. After we just saw <laughs> our text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you just mentioned them, the the gnomes that they meet that are healing them, uh, not Miracle Max and Valerie. Um, which very, you mentioned this when we were watching the movie, mm-hmm. Katie. They have like the exact same energy as yeah, Miracle same, Max and the Valerie exact same energy. from uh, the Princess Bride. Um, and we were trying to figure out. I don't know why I have this here because we. This is interesting. We were like, who, we were trying to figure out what was inspired by what, or if they weren't at all, and it was just coincidence. Because so what? One are those characters? Obviously, those characters in the book. We already mentioned that. Do they seem similar? to the characters in the movie, like the way they talk and like their mannerisms and stuff. Did they, is that what you pictured the version we get in the movie? Is that what you pictured from the book at all? Uh, yes, they talk exactly, yeah. exactly yeah. like that. It's Absolutely. Funny. Yeah. Talk like that in the book. And I, you know, the, the book, the princess bride predates the book, the never ending story, yes. but the movie, the, the never ending story. story predates the movie. Yeah. The Princess Bride. And I honestly cannot remember how similar the movie version of Miracle yeah. Max and Valerie are to their book counterparts. Yeah, it's been a while since I, I was like a year ago that I read that. And so I can't recall either how similar they are. I think they're pretty similar, but definitely, I mean, Billy Crystal's doing Billy Crystal. Yeah, so it's like, a, it's right. a bit of a <laughs> him doing a shtick moment. And that's why it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I just thought it was very, yeah, how similar. Again, they're not identical, but it was kind of, it was very much got those vibes of like, oh, this is familiar. Um, but but it's clearly from the book, which, uh, which, well, we still don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never no. know who stole what or if nobody stole anything. Uh, so this is a little detail, but I really enjoyed in the movie the fun telescope contraption that the, the gnome guy has. And I wanted to know if that was in the book. He does have a cool telescope, yeah. Is it made... The thing that I liked about it specifically is that it was made from, like, these glass bottles of, like, liquid or something. Do you remember that at all? Ooh, I don't remember if they described <laughs> they what it describe was made it. of. Okay. Do you remember, April? No, no idea. But I did like the look <laughs> of it in the movie. And, like, a part of it had, yeah. it had like, crystals, like, 
poking out of it. Yeah, at the front. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were like these crystals that came off the front, and then going up, it had like glass like jars of liquid mm-hmm. that I assume were like refracting. Like I don't know. I thought it was cool. Really, was really good looking. like props in this movie. Yeah, and obviously Tons like all the yeah. costumes yeah. and um, uh, creatures and stuff. Like very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, speaking of creatures, we get to the gate. This is what they're looking at with this telescope is the first gate that uh, Artreyu has to go through. Um, and I wanted to know if this is what happens in the in the book, because in the movie, uh, apparently the gate just sort of judges if people are worthy, sort of like your standard, like, you know, mm-hmm. judging the content of your character. And in the in the movie, if you're if you're unworthy, you just literally get electrocuted to death. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, that's OK. Uh, is that what happens in the book? Do you get electrocuted to death by Sphinx? So if they don't let you through. You get frozen unless you can solve every riddle since the beginning of time. Oh, that's how I remember. So basically, it. it's a fate worse <laughs> than fate, death. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that 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 does at least track with what Sphinx are known for, like yeah. the riddling thing, like that. You know, right? Known that, for riddling, not so much. Not so much shooting lasers out of their eyes and frying you to death. But for a movie, I get you know, it's a little hard to. To get that whole, like, you're frozen in time until you can answer every, like, how do you even, it would be tough to depict. It's a lot easier to depict getting electrocuted to death by a laser mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, second question, are they absolutely stacked? Because <laughs> that was something I completely forgot about. Is <laughs> how large the breasts are on these You snakes. know what? I was like, when I was a kid, I never thought anything <laughs> of that. But my when I was a kid, we taped this off television, and that was the VHS they watched over and over. And now I'm like, would that even be on television nowadays? With the <laughs> no. gigantic, because it's a st- statue, it's okay to have. Yeah. Big stone yeah. boobs. I, and I think you could get away with it if they didn't have nipples, but they have nipples in the <laughs> it movie. It was such a bold per- choice to give them nipples. nipples. <laughs> yes. And I was like, if they had not had nipples, I think they could get away with it still. But that was, I was like, all right, no, that I do not recall that as a kid. I feel like I would have a vivid memory of that, but I didn't. <laughs> I think not. in the book they're just described as your basic sphinx. Standard uh, sphinx. Yeah. So there was just some, per- some, some des- prop designer was just like, I got it, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> And the the director, they brought him on set that day, and the director was like, "Is this what we're doing?" And it's like, "Well, we don't have time to redo it." It's so a little something for the parents in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so this was a a movie thing. So we see the guy get electrocuted, the brave soldier or knight or whatever, and then Atreyu's like, "All right, I'm trying it," and he goes to run through. And this I felt so silly to me in the movie is that the whole point is it judges your character and. If, if you're judged worthy, you can walk through. And in the movie, he st- gets to it, and then he gets nervous, and then they start to shoot at him, and then he, like, runs and just dives through and, like, barely avoids getting blasted by the lasers. And I was like, well, that's not the point of this. Isn't that he's fast mm-hmm. and can run through? And that can't be what happened in the, in the book, because that makes no sense. This is a dumb movie change. <laughs> is that what happens in the book? So... In the book, he just walks right through and they don't shoot at all. Um, it, it's yeah. described kind of as he's like he's kind of scared about it. And he's slowly walking, walking. And then before he realizes that he's already walked past it. But as yeah. far as like the first the gate, I didn't in the movie, like I didn't uh, interpret it as they're judging like who's worthy. It was more just as they say, like, be confident. It's just who, if you're like yeah. sure mm-hmm. of yourself uh, and okay. like you have to. It's, it's about 
believing in yourself essentially right um, right, right so yeah. that's why i liked that moment in the movie because it's, it's okay. just about don't doubt yourself don't give in to fear and you know go for it and that's what he does and if he just jumped and it, there was no shooting at him and it, i don't think it would have had the same impact i, I got you i can see because i i guess in my head i was interpreting it more as like judging your character and I, to mm-hmm. me that made it feel like well then he's not worthy mm-hmm. or like right. but if it is just like believing in yourself i think it's early enough in the story the idea of him doubting himself here does would work like him sort mm-hmm. of doubting himself and then and then trying to get him and him making it through just barely i think does work better in that sort of looking at it through that lens as opposed to how i was originally yeah. kind of thinking it can about be it. interpreted i think in different ways it's not yeah, super i don't remember clear. all the dialogue but yeah yeah and i and honestly i do you know, even though sphinxes aren't known for shooting people with their laser eyes, <laughs> um, I, I do think it's a good change. It's a lot easier to uh, interpret and understand yeah. than what happens in and the book, a, which I think would have been hard to explain. Oh, in the God, movie. I, I wouldn't yeah. even know. Yeah. But I just, no. it's a great moment because, like, it, you get, like, Bastion saying, like, run, Atrey, run. And he's, like, you know, yeah. he's, like, cheering him on. It's, it's like a, yeah. a nice yeah. moment. So then he does get to, uh, he goes through a mirror, and I have a question about the mirror thing here in the next segment. Um, and he gets to the Southern Oracle, and in the movie, it's just the same two Sphinx statues again. Uh, and I was like, that feels like probably not what was in the book, and they're just like, we need to reuse some props here or something. I don't know. I, I don't know why, but it felt like that probably wasn't the case in I think you're right yeah. about the whole yeah. reusing okay. the prop thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they built those giant sphinxes. Yeah, they right? built those like, giant sexy shi- sphinxes. You got to get them in there. Paint them <laughs> blue and shine some different blue light on it. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> this was actually a thing that I had in better in the book. Um, because in the book, the Southern Oracle is a disembodied voice like he gets past the three gates and there's like a kind of a palace thing there yeah and it's this like disembodied voice that just echoes throughout the chamber and it makes him speak in rhyme or it won't answer him mm-hmm. and what and what's her name that would be my guess um, and so I actually had that as better in the movie um, oh. because I, uh, as I, I actually already just, just talked about how I thought the first gate was more yeah. triumphant and, and suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, like, we, it just lets some people in and some people out. Like, we don't really know why. Um, but yeah. uh, the whole section where he's meeting the disembodied voice of the song, it just it felt like it went on like forever. And I kind of liked how in the movie it just kind of streamlined. He talks to the statues and they... They tell him what he needs to know and they're like crumbling because they're they're dying essentially and that's what happens in the book right katie like the he's in like a room of columns and they're like crumbling around him yeah they're like crumbling and um the the disembodied voice whose name i will not attempt again (laughs) is um getting like progressively more like kind of sad Mm. about what could happen right. it, it does it falls into that category of it's hard to read a song and it, it's because i can't yeah i can't um, hear the uh, the melody so it just kind of it was songs. it was a little i'm not a big fan of it either um so we, yeah i liked it in the movie better cool i uh, see i really i'm just really a sucker for character who was not expecting to have to speak in rhyme <laughs> has to now speak in rhyme <laughs> You like that trope? It's something I enjoy. (laughs) All right. Uh, 
we talked about this earlier, but Atreyu, and this is what I thought interesting in the movie, he finds these murals uh, when he gets to the uh, the final. This is after. This is after. This is after he gets separated from Falcor. Yes, and there's like ruins there that he walks up to. Yeah, um, and he sees these ruins, and they have murals of him painted on the walls, and it's like his journey up until this point. And I was like, oh, this is like, so this maybe there is a prophecy or something. Um, and I want to know if that any of that was from the book. Did we talk about this? I can't remember. Uh, no, it's not in the book. Okay. And I'm okay. guessing it's in there just as kind of to tie in the theme of stories and how, you know, it's like yeah. a, a, a never ending story <laughs> and how it's like yeah. it's a, it's kind of like a loop and how, you know, it's kind yeah. of supposed to tie together the whole idea that he's living it. But Bastion's reading it and then we're reading Bastion's story, I'm guessing. Do you, do you have yeah. thoughts on that, Katie? Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. I think it's supposed to reflect that theme and the idea of like storytelling um, and the way that it like loops back on itself, mm-hmm. um, especially when he comes to something that he hasn't yeah. actually mm-hmm. experienced yet. Yeah. Um, I like the murals. I think yeah, that I thought was it was a, neat. A I was change. just wondering. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I, I also thought it was kind of interesting. And I, to me, it does imply like this interesting, like, well, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. without ever really like concretely answering it. But it, it's, you know. I, I thought it was neat. So then uh, the nothing starts sucking up everything. Uh, and, and the way this is depicted in the film is that it like, operates like a black hole or like a giant vacuum cleaner. And I assume how they did this in the movie is they just shot. They had their sets and they, they just tilted them sideways <laughs> and yeah, had everything so. fall like past the camera is what it looks like. Um, uh, it, it's a very effective uh, shots of all this stuff, like kind of flying. It looks like it's getting sucked up. Um and, but we also learn in this point that Fantasia is made of the hopes and dreams of humans. And the reason it's dying and the nothing is consuming it is because people are like losing their hopes and dreams. So it's kind of a two parter. One is, is the world like being sucked up into a black hole in the is Fantasia being sucked into a black hole. And two is the reason for that. The nothing because of the dying of people's hopes and dreams in the real world and then not believing that sort of thing. All right, so we both had a lot of notes about this. <laughs> okay. So I kind of conglomerated everything here so that we could just talk about it. Um, all of the notes that both April and I had were in Better in the Book, okay. though. So. Um, so, okay, so the visual representation of the nothing in the movie is odd. Uh, yeah. It's basically like a really bad windstorm. Yeah, to me, it's I think it's supposed to imply like a like I said, like a black hole type of thing of like the one that comes Mm -hmm. and like sucks everything up and Mm kind of destroys it, which. I mean, I I get needing a visual for your film, but to me, it doesn't really track with like what the nothing is supposed to be. So, yeah, uh, in the book, it's. uh when you look at it, it's as as though you're blind. And if you get too close to it, you feel drawn to it. Like you want to just jump into it. And it's said that when Fantasticans go into the nothing, they become lies in the human world. So like delusions or like conspiracy theories or crazy things that people Mm. believe that Mm -hmm. make them do negative things. And also in the book, it's a lot more like frightening, just the whole idea of the nothing. Like it's it's just not existing. Um, And uh, like that's actually I mean, let's get real here. Like that's like the most scary (laughs) thing ever is just like the 
yeah. like oblivion. Like you don't know. Yeah. And that's what all the fantasticans are afraid of, but it's happening like to their world, you know? Um, yeah. but, uh, uh, it didn't that didn't really get across as well in the movie, but I think a it's kids movie, so that might have been a little yeah. too heady. A little too and heavy. Yeah. How do you show that? It's it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know how the movie would have shown it, but I do think like I think the book's version is more horrific, and there's this element of like existential dread. Yeah, yeah. Like the nothing is literally just a lack. Yeah. of anything yeah that is that is really cool and i i think it i think it it's possible but it's to to depict i think they could have done it but it's definitely a lot it would have been a lot tougher like the way yeah. they go about it in the movie is sort of easy to to grok easy to understand as like a kid mm-hmm. like oh it's the nothing because even, even if they don't know what a black hole is they kind of get the idea of like something is just sucking up everything and like essentially destroying it or whatever yeah uh you know it's like the roughly what comes across in the movie um and i think i could be wrong but i feel like they might get into it a little bit more in the second movie if i because the nothing is still an issue in the second movie from my Mm. memory and there i'm i i have vague memories of discussions about like what it is and that sort of thing i don't remember how deep they get into it um but i do like i would be interested to see I would have liked in the movie if they could have shown that sort of more philosophical angle of like void of like yeah. oblivion and that and what that yeah meant. like they talk it's it's mentioned in the earliest scene where the rock biter is saying like oh the lake is gone and then they're like yeah. it dried up and he's yes. like it's a hole yeah. and he's like no a hole would have been something this was nothing yes that was I yeah. almost asked about that line that was one of my favorite lines in the first half of the movie. And I almost asked if that was in the book because that is a great line. Yeah, whole would yeah. be something. It is in the yeah. book. Is it is okay. That's cool. like the closest yeah, that you get to like a representation of what the nothing is, yeah. and like yeah. it is also related to like it. It's kind of an allegory for depression because, like I said, when you get close to it, like you lose all hope, and um, it's like the Dementors essentially. J.K. Rowling yeah. ripped off the Neverending Story, um, <laughs> and like how like you you feel like jumping into it. So it's kind of like. You have, when you feel like you've lost all hope, it's like kind of like an idea yeah. of like people who commit suicide, kind of. Right. And there, like, then yeah. there is a whole scene, like right around, right before this point in the movie, in the book, there's a whole scene where um, Atreyu like hides and is watching this whole like parade of creatures oh, yeah. like throw itself into the nothing. Would you say they embrace to the void? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, side, I don't understand side that. Podcast. No, it's just it's a it's another podcast uh, from, oh. that, uh, that I'm a fan of uh, called Embrace the Void that uh, Aaron Rubinowitz has been on our podcast a couple oh, times. Yes. He's the host of that podcast. So there you go. Anyways. Yeah. Um, no, that sounds really creepy. That's yeah. And they're like lemmings gnarly. and yeah. they're like dan- dancing yeah. and singing and like freaking out basically. And they're just yeah. jumping in. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so there's the. You know, we had to change that visual representation of of what the nothing is. And then there's the more like kind of philosophical aspect of it that you mentioned, April, that when when the Fantasticans or the Fantasians, I guess, um, go into the nothing in the book, they become lies in the human world. And I gosh and it got the book got real like heavy and philosophical there for a minute um when atreyu is talking to gamork there's a lot about like who owns 
and who harnesses stories yeah and what stories get used for in the wrong hands yeah and it, it's really heavy and makes total sense coming from an author who grew up in a literal fascist state yeah absolutely yeah yeah i, I like he actually says like oh like the lies could be like something like maybe it'll make people buy things they don't need or hate people they've never met or or something so yeah. like yeah. propaganda essentially yeah yeah, yeah. interesting yeah um, they don't really get into that too much we get a little bit of it in the Gamora. yeah I, I feel like what the movie gives us is um not a not a pared down version but like a slightly changed version that's a little bit easier to easier understand. to understand yeah it's just like oh it's yeah um the, the world is losing hopes and it's sort of yeah it's more like easily digestible for children like the world mm-hmm. is dying because in the in on earth the their hopes and dreams they don't believe like it's you know a little bit easier to yeah to it's suss. kind of um uh i do believe in fairies yeah kind of a thing mm-hmm. it's what at least out read to me in the movie yeah for sure all right, uh, a couple more questions. Uh, does Atreyu kill the Gamork? And in the movie, it's like, I didn't recall this just being like, I was a little disappointed in this in the movie. They they literally cut away during the moment where he the Gamork leaps at him, and then we cut to like a separate shot and then cut back and the Gamork's dead. And I guess they just didn't want to show him stabbing it in the stomach or whatever mm-hmm. um but even a little bit of like a tussle would have been nice to see just something i think that was the um, scene where atreyu got almost got stabbed or the, act, the yeah. actor yeah <laughs> oh that's interesting because that, that's funny because we did mention that in the prequel and it's like i was when i when we watched the scene i was like how we don't even we don't see anything i was like oh maybe because he almost yeah. died and they're like we gotta cut that no, out I, we're not doing I remembered that, that scene being a lot cooler <laughs> as a kid and then i was like oh yeah. it's literally just like a jump cut <laughs> yeah it's like a jump yeah. cut and then he's like oh it's over <laughs> um yeah. so no um, that's a little different in the book um so they talk for quite a bit longer and uh, it's revealed mm-hmm. that um, Gamork went to this city when it was actually full of people and um he made friends with the people there there it's like this dark town i forget what it's called yeah. and uh the queen realizes that uh, he's like evil and working for the nothing so he chains her up in this like chain that can only be broken by her and then she jumps into mm-hmm. the nothing so he's like dying of hunger and uh just in this like courtyard and um yeah. after they talk and uh he's like i'm like just about to die and uh he's like oh yeah what was the name of the guy you were hunting it was atreyu and he goes i'm atreyu and he cackles crazily and he passes out and <laughs> dies and then atreyu he starts to get close to him i don't know to poke him or something and uh Gamork, <laughs> uh, bites his leg and his like teeth oh. like won't close and uh so he kind of does it uh. like um posthumously it's like a like yeah. his yeah. last his death kind throws, of yeah. yeah and uh that's it and i think falcor somehow releases him from from the wolf uh because falcor shows up with with oh, the right. rn yeah mm. and then use they use the power of the rn to yeah. to release gamork's jaws gotcha. they're so like that atreyu can, can get out yeah um i, I did prefer the book version um Mostly because I did think that the movie's version ended up looking a little bit silly, like with the jump cut. I it, think it's just it looks cool. The build up for it's great. Yeah, like him in the in yeah, the cave it's, it's and like creepy, the, and then he leaps out. It's super creepy and super cool. But then yeah, the payoff for it's a little underwhelming. Yeah, I think if they actually had fought a little bit, I would have ended it up. Yeah, ended up liking the movie version better. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, does Fantasia straight up disintegrate? In the movie, We after this all happens, everything starts breaking apart. And then all of a sudden, Fantasia is literally just like in pieces floating through space, mm-hmm. uh, except he makes it to the White Tower or the Ivory Tower um, where uh, he runs into the childlike Empress. Um, but is that what it does? Fantasia just like pieces floating through space. Uh, that's not something that I got from the book. Um, at that point, a lot of Fantasia is just gone yeah. due to the nothing. Uh, I didn't love the the rocks chunks rock chunks floating in space version yeah. in the movie um but I mean, we already talked about my yeah. disappointment with how the movie portrayed the nothing so it is interesting because i think a modern version obviously would be super cg heavy with how they did this and i think while i think i i i love 99 percent of of how cause i have a note about this later about how much of what this movie works is because of how practical everything is and how mm. how visceral everything mm-hmm. is in the movie and i think is why it works so well as a film i do think in particular portraying the nothing would be something that would benefit from a more cg approach yeah. to to that to that sort of effect just because you could actually show like i'm envisioning something similar to um almost like the um uh, Stranger Things when they're not the upside down, but the the black room that um, Eleven ends up in sometimes when she goes, mm. under, oh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Where it's just like literally yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, like a void essentially, like a black. Yeah, void. in this they're mm-hmm. flying through space with like stars and okay. stuff, and it's not yeah. that yeah. would have looked cooler, I think. Yeah, I'm envisioning more like that when because that that is more of like literally like just this void or something. I don't know. Anyways, uh, which I guess that's also pra- like the way they did it in Stranger Things was practical. It wasn't CG. True. But, I mean, anyways, uh, does the Empress go meta and talk to us, the reader? I thought this was interesting and it made me question whether or not Bastion was even in the book at all for a second. And then I remembered that he was from the prequel. But I was like, wait a second. In the book, is the does she just start talking to you, the reader, in this scene in the book? Because that would be interesting in meta. Um, because that's what happens in the movie. Uh, and then... So is that what, how does it, that whole ending where she starts talking about like the reader and stuff, does that all happen in the book? Um, I don't recall that there's direct dialogue. Yeah, I don't remember her saying, um, like in the movie how she's like, um, they were with him when he went to the bookstore and they, they meaning us. Um, I don't, I think maybe she says something to that effect, but I don't recall it being that like direct. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it does get kind of meta at the end, but it's yeah. more like meta for Bastion. Yes. And not so much like which for makes, the reader. Which makes sense and ultimately is how it pays off in the movie. But it got so, I was like, wait a second. It almost made me think for a second that maybe it like, a, like the, maybe the movie added Bastion to be the stand in for the reader. Mm. And he wasn't actually even in the book. Like I could have seen that working now, essentially. That would have been a very interesting change. Yeah, I would have. And and then I remembered the whole part about the the green text and the red text and taking place. <laughs> and, t- and I was like, wait, no, no, no. Okay, obviously that's not the case. But um, yeah, I thought it would have been a really interesting idea if if the book was literally like we like it, it was almost like an interactive experience at that point where it's like <laughs> you know the, the, the she starts talking to you and you have to name the child i don't know i don't know how it would be done but i thought it could have been interesting i have a tiny um, tiny spoiler for the second half of the book because like the book the never ending mm-hmm. story in the book is described mm-hmm. as having red and green text so he yeah. wanted to oh. he wanted to do that right um uh and it's in the book like the book yeah. Of the book. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of neat. <laughs> Does 
so I, I talked about it, but the way he has to save the world is that Bastion has to name, and this is a weird ending, and I want to talk about this. This is what happens in the book. The way the movie, he saves the, the day is he has to give the childlike empress a new name, which I don't know why. The childlike empress is a pretty badass name. I don't, I would just <laughs> stick with that one personally, but um, he has to name her. And he he does he does this by the name he comes up with, and she's like, "You knew it all along, or you already know it." And the name he comes up with is Moonchild. This felt like out of nowhere to me. I don't know. This felt like it wasn't set up in any way. I want to know if this is, happens in the book. If he screams Moonchild into a thunderstorm, and that saves the day. If he does do that, was it set up at any point? Like, where did Moonchild come from? Anything. I'll take any answers. <laughs> okay. Well, not it. Not not really. So in in the, the the difference, the setup in the book is that the character of of Bastion is really good at making up stories. This is not in okay. the movie at all. So he actually no, just kind no. of um, I don't know if he writes them down, but he kind of just makes them up and he even like walks around and kind of tells them to himself. And that's a big thing that the he's bullied for. He's really good yeah. at making up names for things and words for things. Big nerd. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the setup for that. And that when he finds reads in the book that, oh, she needs a new name. He was just like, um, I know what I would name her. You know, he just kind of had it in his head, yeah. um, but he didn't like say it out loud. And then there's a whole scene after the uh, scene in like the throne room with the empress uh, where she mm -hmm. says all that stuff that she says in the movie, but Bastion doesn't, doesn't say her name um, cause mm -hmm. he's scared. So she goes to the old man in wandering mountain, which is like a guy on the top of a mountain and he's like reading a book and you find out that it's the book of the never ending story, but it starts off like with Bastion's story. So, it, so the old man is reading the book that we are reading. So it starts, oh, it starts okay. when our book in the real world starts. This is confusing. Okay. No, 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 no. no. I, I think yeah, I don't think Yeah. So I'm he's trying. reading it over and over and over again until, so, and, and Bastion can like hear it. So he's not even reading anymore. Yeah. And he's stuck in this kind of time loop for who knows how long. And then uh, he, <clears throat> he, he whispers, Moonchild, I'm coming. And then he's transported to Never Ending Story <clears throat> or Fantasia. So gotcha. it's not. It, it doesn't have the same like catharsis that it does in the. It's not the same big yeah. moment, yeah. But it is still Moonchild, and he does. That and is he does the thing have to give her a name, yeah. Yes. Okay. Is there any setup for why Moonchild? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was like, what? I don't. That felt completely like. That's just his name. Just, I don't know. Yeah. It is right. kind of. It's kind of an odd example of his prowess for naming. Yeah, okay. I have a note about this characters. later, but he uh, and actually this is more much more in the second half of the book. But he comes with up with all kinds of crazy names, and Moonchild is the one he comes up with for her. It's oddly plain, you know. It's a terrible. Yeah, name. I think it's terrible, <laughs> and I can't believe that his mother was named Moonchild. That's insane. Oh my god! When they teased that in the movie at the beginning of the movie, wait, they, whose mother was Bastion? Named yeah, Bastions. Because yeah. at the beginning, like closer to the beginning of the movie, I guess right around when they find out that she has to be named again, they tease that he would name her after his mother, and he's like, "Oh, she had the most beautiful name," and that's not and that's not in I, the book. Like no, that's uh, not in the book I at all. I don't remember that. He's, he's kind of looking like out the window and he's like daydreaming and he's like, uh, "My mother, she had the most beautiful name. Like that's what uh, I would. Okay, that's I what I would remember. name okay. her." And know? I thought 
like 100% I was like they're not going to name her moon child <laughs> in this movie they're going to change it it's going to be something else also yeah. she's the childlike child. empress the name has child in it like can you be more creative yeah. than that yeah it's not even that big of a difference it's like you kept half of it basically you just <laughs> you got rid of the cool part which empress is the cool part of the name and is moon yeah it doesn't even and oh, also whatever. like that okay. scene in the movie like as a kid i couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying yes i never you, could. I, could I think we turned it. on the captions once just to make sure like <laughs> what is that what he said yes that's what he said yeah. okay yeah, I could barely understand it this time. I only knew by going back or during I was looking at some other stuff, some notes for some stuff. And I was like, oh, he says Moonchild. I OK, sure. Last question. Uh, after he's everything, he brings everything back um, and then he uses Falcor to terrorize his bullies from the beginning. Does that happen in the book? No, that's a complete okay. fabrication for the movie. <laughs> That scene, we could. I was, we were both laughing out loud at that scene. I just was dying. It's pretty funny. It's such a, it's ridiculous. It's so, the idea of them flying through downtown Vancouver or whatever yeah. this is, just, just terror. Like, just everybody there is like, what the hell? And then, and he's just specifically three kids just chasing him down. And my favorite thing is how terrifying the kids. Yeah. They literally they're about to die, and he's like, "This is what you get for throwing me in a dumpster once. You get eaten by a giant." dragon dog thing. Yeah, and falcor is like loving it he's loving it he's <laughs> he cackling he is. he's into it he's cackling his ass off yeah all right i have one question for lost in adaptation just show me the way to get out of here and i'll be on my way was lost. yes yes and i want to get unlost as soon as possible so i mentioned it earlier but the second test in the movie is this mirror thing and i felt like this was completely glo- I didn't understand what the test was or how he passed it or what happened. So if you can expand it all on what happened with the mirror and what the test was and how he was able to just walk right through it or if it was if I was missing something cuz he sees like Bastion in it, like he sees Bastion mm-hmm. reflected in himself or whatever and I get what they're going for in terms of like you know, they're kind of like on, on earth Bastion is basically him kind mm-hmm. of or like you know in the store like the parallel of him in the store whatever um the protagonist whatever how what what's going on with the mirror um all right i'll try to help here i'm a little fuzzy on this one myself um in the book and tells atreyu when you stand before it you see yourself but not as you would in an ordinary mirror you don't see your outward appearance. What you see is your real innermost nature. If you want to go through, you have to, in a manner of speaking, go into yourself. And he goes on to explain that some people see an image that is so horrifying or so incongruous with what they believed about themselves that they literally can't bring themselves to accept it and go through. I think <laughs> the idea... Like you said, um, like with Atreyu seeing Bastion, is that Bastion essentially like invents Atreyu as mm-hmm. he breathes. So Atreyu's inner self is Bastion and vice versa. And I, I guess Atreyu has no problem with this because he just like is like fine with it and goes on through the mirror. Yeah, it's, it seems Atreyu. to be more about yeah. Bastion than it is about Atreyu in the yeah. book and, yeah. and the yeah. movie. Um, yeah. 
uh, because there's another gate like after this gate in the book um, where mm-hmm. after he goes through the mirror, like he loses all his memory and then he has to go through a gate that has no like handle. So he has to like mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. want to get through to get through. Um, no. And I'm, and they, they just cut that whole thing, um, which is yeah. probably yeah. better. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I guess it was just because it's just one of those things in the movie where he's like, I, I don't know. I just felt like it wasn't. I, I mean, and I, I honestly found the part with the three gates in the book even a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. Just like what exactly is happening here? I, I mean, it sounds sure. like from what you've described that what the book's going for is it's sort of testing three facets of his character. One being his his. Um, confidence in the first gate second one being his uh self-image or or his Mm. ability to deal with his you know see yourself reflected your your innermost insecurities sort of reflected and to handle it and deal with it and still walk you know walk into yourself or whatever um accept yourself basically accept himself as who he is is the second test right and then the third test being like sort of uh the almost like a buddhist type of like the only way to to truly reach nirvana is to not want or something like it like is kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, actually now that you gate. say that all that applies a much more to the second half, the story of the second half okay. of the book, but there's never any, they don't go back to the, these gates in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. But I, yeah, but yeah, the, cause it, yeah, what you said, you know, about the, the, the no door handles, like that sounds like a Buddhist thing, but, um, the, and the way you described it is the only way to get it open is to not want it to open. Kind of, almost the mirror like bearer the mirror said, bearer said, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it all comes yeah. back to Harry Potter. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I can see the influence here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, lots of things influenced. I mean, like I said, I think Avatar, the last airbender took yeah, no I, I would say definitely. I think there was yeah. some some definite influence yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. on Avatar. Uh, I mean, fly uh, Falcor, the mo- yeah. you know, Alpha, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. But um, the uh, so yeah, that's interesting. I and I think it makes I think it works in the movie. Whether I don't know how it re- or in the book, I don't know how it reads. Um, but it, at least the idea of it, the concept of those three gates, makes sense to me as like a, a sort of character test. Mm-hmm. In the movie, I just felt like it didn't. They didn't explain it enough for me to understand what. Other than the first one, the first one I kind of understood, you know. Yeah. But the second one, I was like, I don't get what we're doing here. So, anyways, interesting. Um, all right, well, let's get to it. It's time to find out what April and Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? everything so i totally understand the movie wanting to give bastion some backstory right off the bat with that scene with his dad in the kitchen Mm -hmm. uh i preferred the in media res book opening where it's him running into the shop yeah um i but i like i said i totally get the movie making that change especially since we mostly find out the stuff about him and his dad through his thoughts throughout the book which yeah. would require either a voiceover or bastion talking to himself or Both, flashbacks like, yeah. or something like um, that, yeah. all hard to kind of do naturally so yeah. yeah i think it does make sense in the movie to kind of start there but I, I i the excitement of going right into the bookshop would be yeah would be fun um also bastion is supposed to be chubby and bow-legged and I'm 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 pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw that Endo was upset by that change. It's yeah. very important. It's very important and, and to the second half of the book. And I'm pretty sure in the second movie he's also yeah. not chubby. So 
Um, yeah, no, he's not. I, I got uh, the vibe definitely reading the last chapter of the oh, first yeah, yeah, half yeah. that it was going to be super important that yeah. he was not confident in the way he looked. In the way he looked, yeah. Which is even sillier if that's it becomes an important thing in the second one, which I don't remember enough about the movie. But the kid who plays him in the second one is like a traditionally yeah, he's like a cute like, kid. Yeah, he looks like um, uh, almost like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. um, um, what Jonathan, Jonathan Brandis is that his name? Yes, his yeah. name is Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, but he kind of looks like JTT. He has like the blonde, like <laughs> yeah. parted, you know, middle part. Like he oh. looks like your typical '90s like heartthrobby teenager, preteen. At least from my memory, it's been, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Bastion leaving the note. Um, at the bookstore? At the bookstore. Um, you don't like that? So, like okay, that. so He's a good let, kid. Me, let me explain. <laughs> In the book, he doesn't leave a note. I'm, jump, I'm jumping ahead to a point that I have a couple okay. down, but I'll go back. Um, he doesn't leave a note, and then he, agoni- he agonizes over how he can never go home because now he's a thief and a criminal. And, oh. and like it would be hard to do in the movie without a voiceover, like yeah, I said. Yeah. But I thought it was such a believable jump in logic for a kid mm-hmm. to be like, to be I like oh, I, I stole it. I stole this I'm a book. Criminal. I have to I have to go on the run now. <laughs> yeah. I can never go home. They're going to throw me in jail. <laughs> like, yeah. I thought it was just so believable for yeah. a kid that I, I think that's it. a little yeah. but also <laughs> part of the reason why he's just going to stay in the attic and read like all day and night. I mean, he's yeah. also yeah. like into the story, yeah. obviously, but he's like, I, yeah. I can't go home. Um, once we get into um fantasia slash fantastica one one thing we find out right away that i absolutely loved is that the mountains that the rock giant lives in are called the cheesy wheezies is that because it has holes in it like swiss cheese yes they look like swiss cheese the cheesy wheezies i was so delighted (laughs) (laughs) i was glad that they didn't whitewash um chiron Chiron, but i was sad that he was that he was not a, sad, a Chiron centaur. is absolutely a centaur in yeah. gr- gr- uh, Greek mythology. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I only know that because of a video game. But yes, he is <laughs> absolutely a centaur in mythology. Yeah. So, so I was a little sad that he wasn't a centaur. Yeah. But I was glad they didn't whitewash yeah, they didn't him. Whitewash him. Yeah. They did whitewash Atreyu though. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. a little bit. I mean, well, he's green, I guess, but like he's very clearly coded as yes. indigenous Native American, yeah. and it's like a white kid from California playing him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little sad that we skipped out on him not going to retrieve Atreyu. Um, I thought we were maybe missing out on like an entire set piece that could have been interesting. Probably would have been problematic, but like he goes to the tribe or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes, and they're like very clearly like a a plains coated kind of like they hunt buffalo and like live in tents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Teepees or whatever. Yeah. Uh, April disagrees. Yeah. So I had this in better in the movie um, because I liked how uh, Atreus shows up at the council meeting at the beginning, and um, he kind of stands up in front of everybody, and he's like, oh, you know, and it's like it's it's more dramatic, and, and people are like. Oh, a child, a child, uh, yeah. A child, it's, a it's, child. It's it's, it's yeah. more fun. Um, I did. I I do uh, miss that we get like any backstory for Atreyu because that's definitely yeah. uh, 
that's what you get when he goes to his tribe and he talks about like yeah. the traditional buffalo hunt and it's just a, a, more about him we, we miss that but i liked it in the movie because also he gets to say bye to the uh, rock biter and his friends too um that's not in the <laughs> yeah. book so i liked it <laughs> Um, so the passage of time is a lot clearer in the book. So they they describe a bell fry, which is, I'm guessing a, like a bell tower at his school. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so it rings like every hour. And so every kind of chunk we get through, it kind of denotes the time. So he's like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be in this class right now. Um, now it's lunchtime. Now school's over. Now it's like six and seven. It's just getting later and later and later. And it's not as clear in the book. Like he goes up there and then the bell rings and like the school's school day's over. It's kind of it, you know, I was confused. I thought they were going out for recess (laughs) because I was like, he's only like been reading for like an hour, right? (laughs) No, it's the end of the day. It's the end of the day. I was literally thought they were going out for recess, but then the lights turned off and I was like, wait a second. In the the book, I mean, I'm guessing in Germany, school days are different because I think that like they leave at like two or something. Um, or or oh, one, yeah. and they're like going home for lunch, yeah, but that's, that's it. Early. And then later, I think it's uh, explained that it's actually a Saturday. <laughs> Very small thing, but uh, anyway, it's not it's not important. <laughs> but I, I just thought no. it was, and <laughs> it's just like I, when you're getting to the end, it's getting more like dramatic and scary. It's like oh my god, it's, yeah. like, it's like midnight. Like you know, he's been there yeah. all night, and he's yeah. thinking like oh my dad's going to notice like I'm not home, and mm-hmm. they're going to maybe go looking for me. Like yeah, it was it was much better. <laughs> So we mentioned the giant spider that tries to eat Falcor. <laughs> you desperately I, needed this. <laughs> I desperately wanted this to be in the movie because when I was reading the book, I was not expecting it. And my my note, my reading note was like, boy, I don't know how the movie's going to do this. Yeah. And then they just didn't. And yeah. you would try disappointing it would have been a nightmare it would have i would have been really hard to do and it would yeah, that's something that you could do would, with yeah. cg or animation a lot better um yeah. trying yeah. to yeah. imagine like again they probably would have just done one spider not the spider that's made of yeah. small spiders that turns into they wouldn't they could it can't they can't yeah <laughs> i think they just would have done we would have got aragog from yeah totally. we would have gotten Potter, like a like stationary a big, or like, the sort of spider from lord yeah. of the rings whatever that was called yeah yeah, Sheila was all animated, though, wasn't she? All, all CGI. Or, yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. She was yeah, never... Because so. Aragog was actually a puppet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would have looked more yeah. like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was kind of picturing more like Aragog, where it's just like... This Which, and it would it really it wouldn't have captured it, because in the book, like, Falcor is in the web, but he's fighting. Like, he's oh, given it... Yeah. He's Ugh, given it the old I college hate it. I hate try. It. I hate that. I hate that a lot. <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> okay, so speaking of this scene, um, so this is the scene where Bastion is reading, and when he sees the uh, spider, he screams, and Atreyu mm-hmm. and the spider hear him in their world. Yeah. Um, so it just makes a lot more sense than him screaming at Morla, sticking her head out, because like it's just a turtle. Yes. You know? Okay, I was gonna wonder because I was like, "That he's scared of a turtle." That yeah, I mean, it is kind of creepy, but like, it just makes much more sense <laughs> in the book, and yeah. and it's it's yeah. an important moment because he has that moment of what they couldn't have heard me, could they? You know, that's like the first yeah, they, yeah, how yeah, do they hear the me? First instance of that, yeah. Um, and at the end of that scene, as I mentioned earlier, Atreyu actually saves Falcor from Yagrimal. Yagrimal. 
the spider because <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Falcor overhears her say to him the thing about if you've been poisoned then uh, you can wish mm-hmm. yourself somewhere else um, so and that explains why Falcor feels indebted to Atreyu and why he joins him on his quest because he's like you saved me and now I'm going to be like your steed yeah. and um, you know I-, I will aid you in your quest type of thing yeah so in the movie he just goes with he them just, because yeah. right? does he ever yeah. he's just like let's do it let's, I got nothing else going on <laughs> I'm a giant fairy dragon dragon dog down like for whatever. adventure yeah. i guess but yeah in the book there's that definite explanation of him being like indebted to yeah. atreyu um and speaking of falcor not that i could literally hear valcor falcor's voice in the book but he gave me like more of an errol flynn vibe mm. in the book like kind of swashbuckling yeah. and jolly like based on his dialogue, I don't, I don't dislike his voice in the movie, but it wasn't what I was expecting. Kind of a slower, kind of a James Earl Jones esque voice in the movie. Yeah, he's yeah. doing more of a like, a, kind of. oh God, like a, a deep and reassuring yeah. kind also, of a voice. Something yeah, which, with Falcor, the puppet's mouth can't move very fast, so I think that's why he that's has true. to yeah. speak so slowly. Yeah. Um, I think it also tracks though the, the like the slower, deeper just works because he's this big, long, so big thing. Like yeah. he, he would have like giant lungs. You know, it just makes sense <laughs> that he would have like a deep, kind of slow voice. His um, voice is described yeah. in the book as sounding like a bronze bell. Take take that oh, at what yeah. you what you will, but it's yeah. It's there's well, what size would be the most important question there because I feel like yeah. that like a, like varies greatly based on. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so there's a part in the book where Bastion has to go to the bathroom, so he uh, has to like leave the attic while school is on, and like uh, he's like freaking out about it, and then he reflects how characters in books never have to go to the bathroom, and uh, I enjoyed yeah. that because you know. The, it's never in movies I or was, books. <laughs> yeah. I really thought they would put that into the movie. That was the most interesting, like, Bastion scene in the first half of the book for me was yeah. him, like, doing, like, a stealth mission to go it's down It's also to the a great <laughs> way to just denote real-world fantasy world, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Real people have to go to the bathroom, you know? In stories, yeah. they never talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they try to bring a little bit of that in with the food thing, mm-hmm. like where he's like, mm-hmm. I got to save this for later or whatever, because it's like the beginning of the journey. But they don't ever really revisit that. Like they never I don't know. I felt like that they set that up and they don't really ever pay it off. I guess it's more of just building like the sort of his the, showing us the, like the sort of magical, yeah. thing, like the mm-hmm. the sort of inventive thinker that Bastion is um, and the creative person that he is. But I, I thought. Yeah, doing a bathroom scene could have been a, a fun little twist. Um, so in the movie, Atreyu and Falcor get separated by the 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 storm that is the nothing. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, he not. Falls off yeah, it's not what happens in the book. Um, they actually run into four wind giants mm. um, who are having a fight because that's all that wind giants know how to do is fight each other. <laughs> yeah so they're just like yeah so, they, so, so it's like, like a, it's like a it's it's almost sounds like a like a mytho- a mythologized version of a storm mm, like yeah it's like of. this is what storms yeah. are it's, it's wind giants fighting or whatever yeah and they go in and they they try to like question the wind giants about like where the boundaries of fantasia are and mm-hmm. if they can get to the human world um and the the wind giants are like we don't know and then they get caught up in the middle of this fight and get separated gotcha 
Um, so Atreyu's character is a little more fleshed out in the first half of the book. He's definitely described as being very, very kind and he helps like any creature he comes across. He just has this like really, really nice need to help people, even though he's on Mm -hmm. this like important, super important mission to like save the world. So like, um, like even like, like Gamork, like he wants to save the, the evil werewolf that's trying to kill him. Like Uyulala and that scene he doesn't even have any memory of what he's doing there but he hears that she's like sad and dying and he's just like all i want to do is like save you he just has this like quality that is uh, didn't i don't really feel like that was in the movie it definitely didn't come across like i i and i have a note about it later but i think that that is one of the weaknesses of the film is the I think the narrative and the the characterizations kind of are the weaker points of mm. the film at times um, because they just don't get as much time. Um, and I, like I said, we'll talk discuss a little more here in a bit. But I agree. And I, I have a vague memory that they expand on that a little bit in the second movie. I could be wrong about this, but I feel like I remember him being a more like like the, I feel like in my brain, I have this memory of him having scenes in the second movie where he's like helping creatures mm-hmm. or something. I could be completely wrong. But for some reason, when you said that, that stuck out as like, I feel like that's a thing that I remember. So I guess we'll he, see. He's definitely, definitely more fleshed out in the book. Yeah. Um, okay, this is a random stupid thing. <laughs> but it just really struck me as funny in the book. So you mentioned earlier, April, that we get some a little bit of backstory for Gamork. And the reason he is in that ruined city, which is called Spook City. Spook City. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. Of all these it's names, called... we have like Uli Baba <laughs> and the Gamork and all these things. And then we got Spook City, huh? Uh, to be fair, I don't know what happened during translation. Yeah, it's possible. Oh, it's fair, yeah, because yeah. it was in German originally. It, yeah. it, maybe it sounded cooler in German. Yeah, that's possible, um, yeah. But the reason he was there was because he had the hots for the Dark Princess who ruled over Spook City. Nice. There's like a specific line in the book where he's like, she was attractive to me (laughs) or something like that. I thought it was more like like, uh, I I, I fit right in because, you know, I was, you know, dark and evil just like them or something (laughs) like that. I want to see if I can find that line because... It just just a quick question. He is a wolf, correct? Yeah, yes. like a giant yes. wolf. It's just the same thing as those okay. in the, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it's what I figured based on the the scene we talked about earlier where he bites him. But I was just making sure that he wasn't just like a dude, no, <laughs> or something. Um, the dark princess was very beautiful in her way, to my taste <laughs> at least. Mm. She stroked me and ran her fingers through my coat. No one had ever caressed me like that. Wow. <laughs> In short, I lost my head and let my tongue get out of hand. Good lord. It's like, what is even happening in this book? He revealed too oh, much okay. about his plan, is what they're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and talk about what they thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Uh, okay, first one. Uh, I enjoyed Bastion's character a lot better in the movie um, this time round. I have read the book before, so I kind of knew like going into it, um, but it had been a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we learn a lot more about him in the book, as uh, we said. Um, 
Um, but I ended up liking him less just because his character would just kind of is, is a lot more negative than the character in the movie. Um, and so this is all explored in the second half of the book, Bastion's character. Mm-hmm. But hearing him complain about every aspect of his pathetic life and how much he hates himself, uh, it, it just kind of wore on me. And it's just like he just <laughs> talks about like, oh, and I, as in, in this class and I'm terrible at history and I can't I'm terrible at remembering things. And then in, in gym class, I can't climb the rope and my teachers are all uh, are mean to me and they all yell at me and my dad hates me and I, my school uh, people at school don't like me. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. Yeah. And I was just like, ah, I, I, it was it was a bit much and i feel like the the movie kind of tells you just enough about him we can see that he's bullied we see that he's probably not great at school because he peeks in and he notices they're having a test and and also at the beginning like he's like oh you you're drawing unicorns on your math test and we know he likes to read and we can kind of fill in the blanks of everything else um Mm -hmm. and it's a different character um but i just enjoyed it more in the movie yeah yeah, he he is definitely the strongest character. I mean, we which makes sense because we're he's our main character essentially, yeah. and so we get the most time with him. But I did, <clears throat> I do like his characterization in the movie. It's 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 done, um, it's very deftly handled. Mm-hmm. Where, like you said, it's we get a little bit of details about him, but it's enough to fill in the blanks and know exactly who mm-hmm. he is. And it also kind of trades, like I said, on other film tropes of the time period for us to fill in some of those extra holes that they don't necessarily have to show us. Yeah. Yeah. Him. Less is kind yeah. of more in, in this sense. Yeah. I liked the scene with the bullies. Mm-hmm. That's very like classic eighties movie yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm running down, trope, a, running down yeah. a, a, an alleyway, jumping Dump, in the dumpster. Dumped in the dumpster. And there's like, Hey, it's only full hay of the, yeah, paper, <laughs> paper shreds yeah. on hay. Yeah. It's like, we like, it could have <laughs> yeah. been a lot worse. It's like, luckily, yeah. Luckily he landed it out back of a, like a, a tax return place <laughs> or something. Or it's just like shredded yeah, paper. It's like all there worse. is in the dumpster. <laughs> Maybe there was supposed to be spaghetti and there's just like a very bad job <laughs> making prop spaghetti. I also thought Mr. Coriander was a little bit softened in the movie, which I didn't really mind. Uh, he starts off book accurate like kind of like, like hey, what are you rough doing and yeah. like just snapping at bastion but then he, he softens when bastion starts listing all of the different books that he's read yeah i yeah. don't think that's in the book him talking about all these books and then they kind of and then he's like oh yeah. and then he starts talking to him about books and then yeah it, they bond kind of really early in that scene which is nice i also did i did like the implication that mr coriander wanted him to steal the book um, which I did not get from the first half of the book. Although I suppose it could be a second half reveal. Yeah, it may um, or may not. I cannot say. <laughs> no I kind of said the same thing here, and it, like he smiles, and it's like he wanted him to have it. Like he knew yeah. what was going. Yeah, like in. I said, I mentioned that earlier. I, I do like that sort of that little trope with that type of character mm-hmm. is always fun. Um, once we get into Fantastica, Fantasia. The book starts off with the Will-O-Wisp, which the movie cuts entirely and starts with the Stone Giant. I thought that made sense. Stone Giant makes a much bigger impression, a pun that I was not intending, but I'm not mad about it. I, I would say other than maybe Falcor, everyone remembers the Rockbiter from this these yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, he shows up yeah. in all three yeah, he's movies. He's in the second in the one, too. One too. Is he in the third one? I've seen the third one, but I don't remember anything about it. But I, I remember he's he's in the second one and has a child, which is I, I think I he remember. has a child in the third one too. I've only seen like clips of that on you on YouTube. I'm like ninety percent. 
maybe I'm missing because I know I've seen the third one and maybe I'm mixing up, but I'm pretty sure he has a baby in the second one, but mm. as well, like I, he probably has it mm. in both. If he has it in the second one, he probably also has it in the third one. But yeah, um, I, I hope the baby didn't like vanish. Well, that's the thing in this. My memory is in the second one is that the baby it's sad seeing the baby's starving because the nothing is all the rocks are hollow because of the nothing oh, and the no, baby's trying horrible. to eat rocks and it's hungry that's what i remember at least i don't know <laughs> i could be wrong okay uh speaking of the rock biter uh in that opening scene with him he talks about eating rocks like he's tasting wine which i thought was a really yes. cute yeah. touch like that's not in the book he's yeah. like biting this big rock and he's like oh is limestone with like a snifter of yeah. quartz and i, I just thought <laughs> That was yeah. really funny. <laughs> it was like a nice limestone vintage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a great way to yeah. add levity to this movie, yeah. which has levity, but it is pretty heavy in a lot of places. So it was a really yeah. fun place to start off. Yeah. Um, so we talked about how um, Bastion is kind of creating the story as he's reading it. And I liked the part mm-hmm. where um, he, Bastion's reading the part uh, where they say, um, we're searching for a warrior named Atreyu. And he like stops reading and he's like, Atreyu Mm -hmm. and then he uh, uh, brings his bag up and he's got like a picture of like a like a Native American like warrior on his bag and it was really Mm -hmm. that's a really good hint at like so he's he's kind of creating this story as he's reading it's it's, you know a magic book I thought the movie actually did a better job of introducing and teasing Gamork okay like initially and throughout than the book did yeah like there are more like reminders of this that, of, looming threat yeah, of this looming threat the, <laughs> yeah. the fact that gamork exists uh, i also liked that the movie shows us a knight in shining armor trying to get past the sphinx gate which we don't we don't see anyone else actually try to get past it you just in the hear book. that yeah. people go through or whatever. um and there's yeah. like skeletons i think yeah. but um but I, I like that we actually get to see it and it's um, fried yeah <laughs> laser eyes we love it yeah I liked, I can't remember exactly what moment this is, um, but when Bastion gets freaked out and just like chucks the Hawks book across the book. I, I think it was that room. mirror gate, I think, <laughs> when, when he sees Oh, yeah, oh, yeah you're right. Yeah. 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 Ah, yeah. yeah. Describing him. He literally throws the book. It's amazing. <laughs> we both laughed out loud at the part. I actually liked that the movie dropped the part about Atreyu having to forget everything in order to pass the final gate. I found that a little bit confusing in the book. I don't know how the movie would have done it. It's very, again, I think it's very Buddhist. Without having read it, based on both of what you said, that sort of freeing himself Mm -hmm. of all commitment and ideas or whatever and blah 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 sounds like that's going for a very like buddhist yeah when you're reading in that though it's kind of just like an extra step that you kind of feel like you don't really need maybe it was just so it's like three gates is kind of more common in stories than two (laughs) the rule of threes yeah you gotta get yeah three gates and we don't have a dumbledore (laughs) to show up and explain how he got the rock out of the mirror so (laughs) yeah um i also liked the callback to the 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 rock biter the stone giant having him show up kind of closer to the end. Um, and then the sad reveal that the nothing took his friends right out of yeah, his hands. Big, oh, strong yeah. hands. Um, yep. So I had oh. that as better in the movie as well, because it's a sad scene. It brings back a memorable character and in the book, the rock biter or nor any of his friends come back into the story. Uh, not even in the second half. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. 
That's I was in, I was kind of. He's definitely in the second movie. Yeah. So I, uh, there we go. I remembered. I, well, I couldn't. I was like, I thought that he they they came back in the book, but uh, no, no. Oh, hmm. all right. I really thought for sure they would because they they do a couple times in the first half of the book. The author will tease like. Oh, and this is kind of what happened to this character, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, right? so um, so I thought they might uh, come back. But yeah, that's that's a device that the author uses throughout the book. Um, it's it, it's not it doesn't when he says that it doesn't mean the book you're reading. <laughs> it, means, it means nothing. It's a lie. Um, so I had a lot of feelings about the nothing and what the movie did with it. Um, and I, I didn't love what the movie did, but I did like the stakes at the end of Fantasia, like literally crumbling mm-hmm. yeah. while they're waiting for Bastion to show up. And I thought mirroring it with the storm in the real world was nice, too. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense to have that storm going mm-hmm. raging in both places. It just made it more dramatic, perfect kind of ending to mm-hmm. the third act. Um, so I love the part where the childlike empress breaks the fourth wall and looks right at the camera. Uh, I think it's such a yeah. wonderful use of film language to include the viewer in the story. Cause you're like, Whoa, she's just mm-hmm. talking to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're Bastion, you're Bastion now. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I thought it was great. Um, I kind of yeah. already covered this earlier, but I liked it better in the movie when Bastion yells Moonchild into the rain, like out the window. Cause in the book, yeah. like he's just like kind of trapped in a loop hearing the story and he, he kind of says it to escape. Essentially. He's not really s- saying it for the right reason. It's, it's just more triumphant. Like he really wants to save her yeah. mm-hmm. in the, in the movie. And so uh, Bastion's reasons for not saying Moonchild and saving Fantasia. Uh, it's definitely better in the movie. Um, because we had that earlier setup of his father telling him, you got to stop living in a fantasy world. You know, you got to, you know, yeah. I, uh, what does he say? Uh, keep your feet on the ground. Um, keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you know, we, we need to move on. I feel like that works better as motivation. Um, in the book it's because he's self-conscious about himself and he's scared. Um, in the book, he's like, I can't save Moonchild because when she sees me, she will be disappointed in me because I'm fat and uh, I'm a loser yeah. and I'm not a warrior. And also he's scared because he's like, I would love to save you. I would love nothing more. But um, why go to Fantastica? I don't know about all those monsters there. Like <laughs> that's it. he says that. So it's like <laughs> you don't yeah. like him as much in the book. I found like although he's more realistic, he's a more realistic child. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in the movie, it's it's a more kind of fictionalized kind of uh, little kid movie hero. It's just different. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I kind of prefer yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. I was kind of torn on some of those changes, um, but but I like your rationale. So you might kind of <laughs> convinced me. Um, I, I do think the movie ending is a lot clearer. It's I think it's a better character arc for Bastion there at the end. Um, I did like the idea of the old man in Wandering Mountain, like reading the never ending story over and over again and it getting very like loopy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I do think the movie's version was a lot clearer and more yeah. dramatic. Um, and this, this is this, the, the, the very end of this movie is ridiculous. But I really enjoyed that Bastion's first wish was being to ride on Falcor. <laughs> 
Because that is hashtag I mean, really. You can yeah. you can apparently do that do with the prop, right? You guys were saying that yeah. if yeah. I was there, you I would go totally to Germany. do that, and I would I I, I would feel I stupid, but I would be like, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think they have it set up in front yeah. of the green screen. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would have liked to imagine they do. All right, we've got a few things in the movie. Nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. So Bastion does run into the bookshop to escape the bullies. Right out. Yep. So we had that nailed that. Uh, Mr. Coriander going to answer the phone, um, and Bastion stealing the book while he's out of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he hides in the attic at school, starts reading. Yeah. So all of those plot points right from the book. And also the look of the school addict, attic that Bastion hangs out in uh, looks exactly the same. He brings like an old gym mat to the middle of the room and he has like army uh, blankets yeah. and there's like um, like taxidermy animals and just kind of odds and ends and stuff. Yeah, I was, I, like, a, like a bunch of I stuff was almost gonna that I'm ask not about sure the, why is in the attic of a school. Yeah, but. I was almost going to ask about the taxidermy animals. I, animals. I assume that's like old like uh, biology class yeah, or something. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, they you like, might be right. Sense. Something like that, yeah. And uh, does he have candles at some uh, point? Yes, yes yeah. he does. Um, yeah. Because it cool. becomes night and he doesn't have uh, any light yeah. up there. Um, so all the major like creatures pretty much look exactly as they were described in the book. Um, the rock biter, um, the tiny and the racing snail, the night hob and the bat and Gamork and, of course, Falcor. Um, to me, I feel like it, it, they nailed the look. So Chiron giving Arin to Atreyu. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a thing from the book. Um, we've arrived again at Artax. We got more. Oh, got more on Artax. <laughs> singing in the swamp. Nailed it, huh? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Yeah. He doesn't talk. No. So but... I couldn't choose which. Like it's 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 different. Yeah. Um. Uh. They're both devastating. So like I can't pick one over the other. In the book, he talks, but I don't know if that's worse than than Artax just being silent and sinking. I will say though, in yeah. the movie, it's slightly less because we haven't been with Artax as long. I remembered us being with him a lot longer in the movie, and then before he he dies like three scenes in. But in the book. He never comes back to life. So fuck that. Oh no! I'm I didn't sorry, ask that. But <laughs> he doesn't, and not in the second half either. <sighs> I think I kind of preferred that he didn't talk in the movie. I feel like that you would be in danger of that coming off as kind of like silly. It, well, yeah. I mean, and well, potentially like, like ruining. Yeah, that scene. it works in the book. I don't know if it would work in the movie. Yeah. Although yes. had. That would have, have you been seen my Black thought, Beauty yeah. with Alan Cumming as the as Black Beauty? Oh, great not, movie no, from no. my childhood. But basically, it's just a, a voiceover. <laughs> like the, it's not like Mr. Ed. Like yeah. it's just a yeah. You know, but but right. people aren't hearing him still... talk. It's just like his inner monologue. So it it could yeah. have worked, but I think it's better the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, that would have been my thought. Would have been that it, I think it would work in the book really well if you like if he can hear him or whatever and like reading what he's thinking and stuff. I don't know how well it would have worked in the movie. I still I, I was envisioning more of the like like they have a psychic link mm-hmm. versus like the Mr. Head <laughs> type of thing. If the movie had if the movie had done it, I think that would have been the only way to do it would be mm-hmm. like our Trey, you can just hear his thoughts basically and we get to hear that essentially. Um but even still I think just the I think the way the movie does it without hearing anything and just 
just having a Trey use side of the conversation mm-hmm. essentially um, is much more devastating. I don't know if it's more, but I, I to me it, it works perfectly as is. I think both work in their yeah. own medium I, better. Yeah. I the way do. They did them. It is a very expressive. Horse. I felt really yeah. bad about for like the horse and like I was like just remember the trivia. The horse didn't die. Like it's, it's <laughs> the, the horse didn't die. The um, horse. Didn't I die. do have a funny story about that scene, and this is like a third hand story, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, okay. my friend said that she went to a birthday party as a kid and they played this they put this movie on and the scene where Artax dies one of the kids got so upset that he like vomited <laughs> at the at the, oh, at the party <laughs> that that honestly wouldn't have surprised yeah. me like that doesn't surprise me cuz yeah. i i i think one of the reasons i didn't watch this movie much as a kid was because of that scene i think the reason i watched the second one a lot more is the second one doesn't have that it's just perfect i mean and people talk about this all the time but like children's movies used to have a lot heavier subject matter in them and now they're just they never have a scene like that in like a dizzy movie now or something like that you know Uh, i don't know do you remember in inside out when what's his name died oh yeah but i mean (laughs) he does disappear (laughs) that's pretty uh yeah Yeah. the imaginary friend (laughs) Whatever I his forget. name is, I can't remember his name. But that scene well, was Well, that's Pixar. Sad. Pixar <laughs> yes. is always trying to make you cry. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. We actually may be talking about that more in the very near future. So I think our next prequel episode, we might discuss um, the, the evolution of children's mm. movies and whether or not they've... Uh, mm changed and whether or not they have and why they have and that sort of thing. we don't know we've thought about it we, we may discuss that in the prequel episode so i thought that the movie nailed morla mm-hmm. um giant turtle doesn't, doesn't care about anything <laughs> just yeah. doesn't care um they're literally like like the tray is like everything will be destroyed and so will you and they're like cool eh. at least that would be <laughs> something cares? Yeah, I I like that uh, she she does talks to herself and she says like mm-hmm. we and then Atreus like if the nothing comes here then you'll die both of you <laughs> and just yeah. made me laugh. <laughs> I think that's that's a cute line. I also really liked the character design on Falcor. Um, I did picture him more cat like. I think they describe him as Leonine mm. in the book. Um, but the movie goes a little more, I'm a little more canine, like in the face. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like the character design. Yeah. On he him. definitely looks more like a dog. Like yeah. He has sort yeah. Of dog and he's definitely face. described as having like pearly scales and stuff, which yeah. I think they captured really well. Yeah. 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 Um, and the, the scene where he retrieves, the scene where he retrieves Aaron from the ocean, I thought the movie did a good job with. He gets Aaron out of the ocean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has to dive down and oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah get sorry. it out get yeah. it out yep I did think about how they film this because obviously he didn't go underwater but I was like I think there's like a tank or something in front of the puppet mm. because I was like obviously mm, yeah. they're not yeah, underwater he's like behind the tank uh, yeah yeah he's probably behind sense. it yeah that's that's how I imagine they did it. That's the thing about before CG, man. You had to do some clever shit. To, <laughs> I mean, now you just got to spend hours doing super clever shit on a computer. But like, it's not the, the way same. they came up. Yeah, and the way the the, the like the the creativity, like the imag- like coming up with weird ways to shoot stuff is is always fascinating. Um, how they used to do it. Um, I thought the look of the childlike empress was pretty much bang on, except as we mm. said before, she's described as having white hair. Um, yeah. But I just think everything else like about her, she also kind of has this weird, like otherworldly quality to her. Yeah. yeah. Um, because yeah. she's not actually a child. She just looks like one. And she had yeah. kind of a 
It's like she's like so beautiful but kind of creepy in the yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's like an alien. She's like yeah. yeah. It, it, and they they cast. We talked about it in the prequel that the, that actress has been in like three movies. Like she did this in like a couple other tiny things. And yeah, um, it seems like she only. So I was gonna say it seems like they dubbed her voice. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Honestly, possible, yeah. I didn't actually see that anywhere, like on trivia or anything. But it wouldn't surprise me if they had. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was a like a ball. She's like a ballerina or something. So they found like an mm. already like uh, ballerinas tend to be like and, and, uniquely looking individuals, an already, already. otherworldly looking yeah. individual. Yeah, um, I liked the yeah. throne room as well. I thought that looked pretty much bang on, except it's much smaller in the in the book or mm. in the movie mm-hmm. because they didn't have a giant room, obviously. But yeah, um, I just I thought it looked like it. I imagined it. Cool. All right, we've got a few odds and ends, uh, some general notes, and then we'll get to the final verdict. The never-ending story theme song has been stuck in my head since we watched this movie. It's still there. Yeah, you said I came from work today and you were like, it's been in my head all day. It's been in my head all day. (laughs) It's a great song. It is a great great song. song, But all I know is the never-ending story. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like... You gotta go listen to it to get them some more lyrics at least in your head. In my head, I was singing it to the cats today. They were not impressed. To be fair, there's only a few other lyrics in the song, I'm pretty sure. Like, that's 90% of the lyrics. I think there's a couple verses, but it's pretty... (laughs) I've actually never looked up the lyrics. Um, But the song that always gets in my my head is the more orchestral song that plays, like, way more times in the movie. They're like... Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. It's it's all it's of the music endless. is fantastic. Um, oh, so good. I and it's funny we did mention in the prequel that in the G- or German version of the film it doesn't have the pop song in it at yeah, all. That's crazy to me. Yeah, they only have the orchestral score, which I mean the the American version and the, the international versions primarily use the orchestral score. Mm-hmm. They just also have the pop song at the beginning and the end. Um, and I do I I really enjoy the uh, the never ending story song. I think it's. It's fun. It's a good song. <laughs> it's fantastic. So um, that song was actually a huge success. Like it played yeah. on, on the radio. It was oh, by yeah. a guy named Lim Hall. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one name. Um, and he was in the 80s new wave band Kajagugu. <laughs> wow, is that name like for, a, from the Neverending Story? It's like a story? name right out of Neverending Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. so they did the song um, Too Shy, which is a, a 80s new wave song, which I'm familiar with because I grew up listening to 80s um, mm-hmm. new wave, which is a great song. And he has the most fantastic hairdo uh, you've ever seen. I have seen the music. I did look up the music video after we were watching the movie because I wanted to go see. I wanted to look up the song. And yeah, this, I mean, the music video has mm-hmm. 180 million views or something like that. It's like. <laughs> Been why, although a lot of those came after Stranger yeah, Things. Yeah, I saw that. People were like, Who was sent here from Stranger Who's here from Things? Stranger things? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things you mentioned is that the kid says he read, like, he's he one of the ways he bond, ends up bonding with the shopkeeper is that he lists off all these books he's read, and one of the books he read was Last of the Mohicans, which felt very strange to me. It's a weird choice. I've never read Last of the Mohicans, but he's like a pretty young kid, and from what I know of the movie, that's not like doesn't strike me as like a kid's book but i could be wrong i don't know i've only read part of it we read like a selection of james fenimore cooper yeah 
probably in an American lit course. I don't remember. What grade? Like in high school? Um, a or... little bit in high school. I definitely read some in college. Yeah. See, that's the age range that makes sense. Yeah. Is high school or college, not like I mean, a fifth grader it, it or whatever he is. But... Sense. Like slightly because he is listing other like classic adventure stories. Yeah. I don't know. And that is like kind of like the Deer yeah, Slayer no. story. I guess that was like, the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also the idea, I guess, is supposed to be that he he's he's above it. Like he's, he's reading, reading adult, above adult his, books. Yeah. Reading yeah. above his grade level. I, I, I get that. I don't know. It was something from I don't know enough about Last of the Higgins, but from what I know, I was thought it was like a much more I guess because it's Daniel Day Lewis, I assumed it was like a like crazy like i i'm imagining like um gangs of new york but like <laughs> set in the, the american indian war or whatever it was i don't know I, I assume that's maybe not the case but i don't know anything about it <laughs> yeah i couldn't even tell you at this point yeah i don't know i've blocked it's got a great song memory. the movie has one of my favorite songs in any movie uh just like the it's called the gale i believe it's a fantastic song uh in mm. last of the mohicans anyways we talked earlier um about how you could order a never-ending story from etsy so yeah. my friends did that for their guest book for their wedding That's so fantastic. it's it was empty obviously so we could write yeah. in it but uh yeah it was i thought it was like the coolest thing ever and then the it got sent to Colin's work because they were from out of town and he had to like sign for it. And he was like, what the fuck is this? And he <laughs> forgot that like it was ordered. Uh, and uh, yeah, she had to come pick it up. And I thought it was adorable. That is really cool. I, I also, so two things. One, I'm imagining Colin getting a package at work and opening it and seeing just the never ending <laughs> yeah. story and being like, is this, Wait, what is happening? <laughs> like, yeah. My time has arrived. My time. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And all two, I have to I have to hope and I don't, if they didn't it's fine. Did they have people sign their names in red and green sharpies because if not they really missed an opportunity. Uh, you know what? I don't remember. Uh. It's possible. It's very possible. Um but I don't I don't recall. That's the kind of attention to detail you got. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, only like you know who? like serious fans would know. Yeah. That. yeah. But you know who has a wedding coming up? True. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I feel like did we we haven't talked about guest book yet? No, so. we haven't. That's we one of those that, like little you know. details that you don't think yeah, about yeah. until you're actually. I'm like, not planning. super worried about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the movie started, and I was immediately very concerned because Bastion's dad put orange juice in the blender and then cracked an egg into it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, he's going to add like bananas and stuff and make like a smoothie. And nope, he just blended it up and straight drank it. <laughs> what is up egg with that? Egg and OJ. I, I Googled this because you said that, and I was like, I didn't see him put the orange juice in it, and I just saw the eggs. And I was like, oh, he's just doing, like, the Rocky thing. He's just, like, drinking eggs or that's whatever. Just, that, I don't think normal people do that. I agree. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I was like. I don't know. Maybe he just saw Rocky, or because wasn't Rocky a couple? Anyways, doesn't matter. But I was, <laughs> I was like, he's like, all right, you know, he's trying to get his life together, and he's like, Rocky drinks eggs, I'm drinking eggs. And so I thought that, but then I Googled the orange juice and eggs thing, and apparently that's an orange Julius. Like, that's what orange Julius was. Well, is, I'm like, officially original. never drinking an orange Julius. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't that think modern day orange lot. Julius, like the chain, no I don't way. think they use the eggs. Well, I probably. thought, I was like, well, maybe he um, separated the yolk and just put the white in, because you know how you would um, shake up like egg yolk to make yeah, like a whiskey yeah. sour or something. But no, it yeah. uh, looks like it was uh, <laughs> just the whole full egg. egg. It's just. Yeah. 
and with his OJ. Also, yeah. a side, side note: apparently, the dad was was in a an '80s sitcom called Major Dad, and this is this is not <laughs> something that I know. This is something that Colin pointed out. He's like, I think that's the guy from Major Dad. I was like, yeah. I don't know what that is, but I'm someone <laughs> li- someone listening knows. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of Major yeah, Dad. Either. Not even yeah. know. It's a little before uh, my time. <laughs> So he's only, I thought he was going to be in more of the movie, um, but Deep Roy's character, uh, the tiny or whatever he's called, um, it was super painfully obvious how dubbed all of his lines were in this movie. And I found it very distracting. I was actually glad he didn't end up being in most of the movie because every time he talked, I was like, oh God, it's like so clearly dubbed. Yeah. Um, It was painfully obvious. I am not quite sure like what Gamork actually is or how he like came to be because he's described in the book as being kind of like half human half fantastican and he's sent by the nothing to kill atreyu but they never really explain like how that happened and in the movie he's just like oh i uh, i just i'm following whoever will have the power blah 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 but it, it just wasn't i was confused yeah, that. there's never really oh, like so that's there's that's not expanded on at all in the second half of the book. No, Gamork do- hmm. doesn't come back. Mm. I mean, that's probably I mean, good. Yeah, Gamork but... doesn't come back, but like those themes come back, so yeah. maybe yeah. Um, it's possible. But uh, yeah, I did. I was uh, unsure about that. So the movie made the name change from Fantastica oh, yeah. to Fantasia. So how do we feel about that? Uh, I personally prefer fantasia i like but i didn't read the book i like fantasia but it does just make me think of the disney movie yeah that was how i felt about it and then i read online that fantasia was apparently a more accurate translation from the german um but that i think that was on imdb so again take it with a grain of salt yeah yeah, um i kind of i kind of like fantastica although it is a bit of a mouthful yeah (laughs) it it is I, I do think it's more unique than Fantasia. It is more unique, but just Fantasia just flows like it yeah. just mm-hmm. it just works, and it also just fantasy Fantasia like fan, I mean obviously fantastical whatever. I mm. yeah I a Fantasia just works better for me, but I it does have the baggage of you know being an already popular thing, whereas yeah. Fantastica doesn't. So yeah. so the miniatures and the vistas in this are also gorgeous. There's like a, I assume quite a bit of matte paintings as well. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. everything like all of the 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 art uh design and the uh the set design and the prop work everything everything crafted for this movie is like stunning <laughs> like and gorgeous and super cool. Um and we talked about it earlier about how Obviously, if this movie was made today, it would be 80% CG, probably. Probably, I don't mm-hmm. want to say necessarily, because, I mean, like, the most recent, um, when they redid, the, or, you know, when they did the the Dark Crystal series, that was still primarily done in the in the style of the original Dark yeah. Crystal. So there, if the right studio got it, and, because I don't want to be that cynical person who's like, well, it would just be a CG shit fest or whatever, but, like... If the right studio got it, I think, and 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 wanted to stay true to it, and but wanted to remake it, we may we potentially could get a modern version that stays true to like this very like um, practical use of effects and sets and stuff like that. Uh, but odds are it wouldn't be that. Maybe kind of um, like the new Star Wars, where they're like we're using some practical things, but also yeah. CG. 
Yeah, I, ideally you would like to think it would be the, the kind of mix that you get with something like Lord of the Rings or something where it is a, a ton of like miniatures and practical effects and, and mm-hmm. real sets and that sort of stuff and on location stuff. Um, because I think that would be the thing that would be cool is to go, f- if you're going to do it nowadays, if you're not going to do a bunch of sets and, or not going to do a bunch of like miniatures and map paintings and stuff to just go to New Zealand or something yeah. or go to Norway yeah. or go to, go to some cool country and film like, you know, like Lord of the Rings did and just find really cool places to film the movie. But that would require a huge budget, obviously. Um, it could happen I, though, because like, this is a big property. So, Hey, everything they're remaking everything. So yeah. yeah. True. yeah. And I True. do think that this movie doesn't, we'll get, I have a note about it here at some point, but I, I do think that this would work. I'm not saying this should be remade. I know people will be coming from my head saying if I've said it should be remade, <laughs> but I think there's stuff to work with here that this movie doesn't do amazingly. Yeah. It does a ton of stuff really, really well, um, but there's other elements that it doesn't. And I, I, I don't know. I think you could remake it and do something cool with it. It would just be the odds of it being not good, I think are significantly higher mm-hmm. than the odds of it being good. Yeah. But. I think you mentioned the dark crystal, um, like the newer Netflix yeah, the series. Netflix and series. I think, uh, yeah, I think if whatever studio had it were to approach it like that, like, that. like we're going to do did, like they stayed true to like the practical effects, but just used CGI to like enhance, enhance that. It, yeah. I think it could end up really good. I do think if it was all CG, it would lose a lot of its charm. Yeah. But sure. That being said, Absolutely. I would love to see a, a fully animated version of this story. Or, or full, yes. Yeah, that could um, be cool. In that any, be any number option. of styles, I think, it, you know, whether it was, you know, like the um, CGI, like Pixar style or like more of like a 2D animated, classically drawn thing. Ooh, or you know what could I, be cool? If Leica did it, Leica oh, would be yeah, a fantastic yeah. choice. That, that would be su- Leica doing Never Ending Story is the thing I didn't know I, would, I needed until I would, just now. <laughs> I die. I need it. <laughs> um, because I was thinking what would be really cool and would work really well is Miyazaki. Um, that would also be cool. And I, I, no, I, he's he, not really made, but like the, they that, do you know, the do stories like that. Yes, you, that's you know, the kind yeah. of story that they would tell. It feels like. Uh, you know, the nothing feels like something right out of a Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he'd uh, probably film. insert a bunch of like war planes and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you got it built in with the bats on hang gliders. So like you're already yeah. kind of there. You just got a whole, whole legions of bat hang gliders and you're like, yeah. Yeah. I love the shot where, um, the stuffed wolf's head like falls on Bastion as he kind of like trips and falls, and then it like match cuts to Gamork chasing a Treu. I think uh, I think that was in the third act of the movie. It was just like again like a really really well uh, use of film language yeah. there. Yeah, it was a nice edit. We should probably talk about the fact that there's an indigenous tribe coded set of people in this book slash movie. I mean, we mentioned it earlier. We mentioned a bit. it. I feel a like. Treu? There's a Treyu, and it's more, I think it's more obvious in the book when we actually go and see, like, his homeland and his people, and they're very clearly, like, coded to, like, a, a Great Plains mm-hmm. yeah. type but, of native people. Well, I mean, the yeah. movie makes it clear, too, because a tra- or Bastion looks at a, a, yeah. a, 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 a sticker of, yeah, a clearly a Native American hunter or something like that. That being said, if they were going to be more true to the book, then they could have cast anybody and just yeah. did the whole green, green thing. So it was like yeah. their choice yeah. to kind of go in a more Native 
American direction yeah. and it then still, still not like, cast like a, a Native American actor. Yeah, it still feels, yeah, yeah. And it does feel like it, even even if you're going to go the green skin route, it still feels like they're, I mean, based on the character description and what we've seen, like you said, the other descriptions, the fact that they have green skin doesn't doesn't like get past the fact that these are clearly a a, a, a coded as indigenous right yeah Americans. and isn't the i think i remember like in the second movie like doesn't he even have you know like a headband with like a feather on it and he does like it's he more, does, even yes. more so um, and it's a different it's a they they recast him because they recast everybody in the second mm-hmm. movie except for the shopkeeper i think the bookkeeper is the same guy other than that like everybody's recast um and it's still just another white guy <laughs> it's just another mm-hmm. white kid but i think i could be wrong about that i haven't looked into it but i from my memory yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's not not ideal. It's not yeah, and it's interesting to me because I do wonder, like, as far as the book goes, obviously this is something that today is frowned upon. That's kind of like coding, and coding and not using it to say anything, right? Like it's it's one thing to 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 have this stand in for uh, like if they were to take this this character who is a representative uh, a representative of you know a First Nations. Um, culture or something and then have his character have that be something that impacts in character in some way mm-hmm. and you know do something with that would be interesting and i would think if the movie were remade and they they you know obviously stayed true to that coding i think that would be something that was yeah. that the movie a remade version would address would be to take that character and use his backstory to inform and sort of and and some of that baggage of his backstory to inform something about his character. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like maybe the movie and the book just didn't do that potentially. Yeah. It's um, more just like he rides a horse, like he's a yeah. hunter. He's right. you know, um yeah. he's a a classic hero character kind of. Yeah. A warrior, although he doesn't actually yeah. use any weapons really in the in the story. And the second movie he does, but I Like I he think, ha- he but. has like a bow and arrow. But, but remember no, they quickly. say yeah. uh, you're not allowed to bring any weapons with yeah. with you. Right. Although, I'm pretty sure in the second movie he uses a bow and arrow though. Uh, I could be he wrong. He does but stab so. Gamork with a rock, but you know. Yeah. It was do a, or a, die. A sword-shaped rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a sword-shaped rock, yeah. There's a moment, a little moment that I loved in the movie that I just want to talk about where it's the shot after Atreyu gets the Auron. Uh, he gets, you know, he gets the Auron from Chiron, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. And it cuts back to Bastion and he's sitting there reading and he smiles and then he sets his fist on his chin mm-hmm. to like keep reading. And that little moment made me smile because it felt it's so perfectly captured like the best part of reading as a kid like that moment Mm -hmm. when something happens and you just smile and you're like oh yes and you like (laughs) keep reading like something the performance in that moment was perfect everything about it it just it warmed my heart and i loved that shot that singular shot i was like this is great (laughs) i love this moment That actually goes to my next note, which is I really liked the kid who played Bastion. Uh, I thought he was really good considering like most of the movie he's acting against no one or nothing. Like he's just by himself. He's just, he's saying lines out to the world. Yeah. He's just, he's he's just like reacting to, to reading a book. He makes reading a book look really interesting. Um, and he does have some like corny lines, like at the end, um, when he's like riding on Falcor's back and he's like, look, Falcor, it's like the nothing never was. (laughs) Yeah. That's a terrible (laughs) line, but I don't think anybody could deliver that line. Well, it's, to be fair, that's true. not on him. That's just a bad line. And but. like, like, um, 
the the scenes of the boys riding Falcor didn't age as well for me as I remembered. No. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look great because you just kind of like see them from behind. You kind of see like their their backs and like their butts, and they're just like like, yeah. and then they're just going like woohoo woohoo. Yeah. And like <laughs> well, I and they go on so it. long. Yeah. They just keep going, and they're like, woo! It's like yeah, run out man. Of things right, to like, say. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that, like okay if they remade it they could at least make that green screen look a little better you know? yeah, that, yeah that would that would look yeah. that but would look cool it's wonderful yeah. in its datedness you know yes it is it is uh, it, it, yeah but it definitely hasn't aged amazingly um speaking of like well this is kind of adjacent we talked about some of the special effects but i wanted to also do specifically call out like the makeup and costumes and the puppets yeah all amazing oh yeah I don't know how they gave that giant Falcor puppet such expressive liquid eyes. Oh, it's crazy. But yeah. they did it. Yeah. And he's like, there's a moment that I wasn't expecting when he's talking in one of the scenes where he's he already has all this expression on his face, like his mouth and his, his lips and his eye, eyes and his eyebrows and his ears are all moving. And then at the, in the middle of the conversation, like as they're talking, he's doing all this talking and moving. And then Atreyu comes over and scratches his ear and then his tongue flops out. And yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I was like, that's it. Like, how many different points of articulation does this freaking puppet have? It's and, and it's so much. huge. Like I'm yeah. sure most of the yeah. puppets in this are miniatures made to look big. And this one is, yeah. is big. No, that one's, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely huge. And that's the thing is that that's super impressive about it. It's like trying to figure out how they did that because some of the things they could do, you know, it, it, there's like maybe some animatronics or stuff. Other ones are like actual puppets with the size of this one. I'm trying to, I was like, how they're obviously they're not, this isn't animatronics, with how big it is, the amount of motors, like the size of the motors you would have to have in that thing seals, feels like it would be counter, like it wouldn't work well. I don't know. Um, I obviously have no idea, but it just seems like they would have to be like, maybe there's just like four dudes in there somehow. Mm -hmm. pup. I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but it's very impressive. I'm sure there's like behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Of, I feel you know, like I should have yeah. looked up who did the special effects, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't look it up either. We talked about that. Cause it was like, it's, 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 it's adjacent. It's very reminiscent of like a Henson film mm -hmm. yeah. at times. Um, yeah, especially from that time period where they were doing stuff like the like Dark, Dark Crystal. Crystal. And but it's it's a little more animatronic and less puppet. Puppet, yeah. yes, for sure, yeah. But the, yeah. the look is kind of similar, I would say. So I want to talk about this. The I'd mentioned it earlier, but I think this kind of get into my my feelings on the movie as a whole. I think the way that reason this movie really, really works is because of how visceral it is. Um, like I, I, I found the narrative and some of the characterization a little lacking on mm. this viewing, which I haven't watched this movie since I was much younger. Um, but that being said, the world is so visceral that it a hundred percent would pull anybody, any kid watching this movie who gets sucked right in, which obviously everybody was. That's why it's such a beloved kids film. But I, I do think I understand why reviews were more middling is that it's not the tightest like written story. Yeah. Like it doesn't to, like it works like it overall works and it works in like broad and like broad strokes. Like it, it's sort of like if you don't, if you it's sort of like squint your eyes and just kind of look at it from afar, like the story works. But like, I felt like, getting into like the actual point to point um, narrative flow didn't add up to me in a way that I thought it might. It, it felt more disjointed than I thought it was going to feel upon rewatching. 
Um, but it is so visceral and the world is so well realized that I, I, I can completely understand why it's such a classic and why I loved it so much as a Mm. kid and why so many people did. Cause it's just one of the most well-realized film worlds of that time period for sure. Um, in my opinion, I, I was kind of blown away by that while, while also being surprised by how much I thought other elements of the like storytelling were a little lacking personally. I don't know. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. But I think they were handcuffed by a couple things. Um, one of which was like technology constraints, like having to cut some certain things because, and like change things because they just couldn't do yeah, it for sure. Um, and also just like, you know, time constraints and the fact that they're adapting half of a book. Right. Yeah. And not so they kind of had to like glue together an ending. I, I will uh, yeah. agree that sometimes the pacing seemed off. Like sometimes it seemed like it was moving too fast and other times it was moving too slow because yeah. it's also it's too short. Um, and yeah. back then movies, they weren't allowed to be two hours if it was a kid's movie. Yeah. Nowadays, this movie would probably be like three hours for just the yeah. first half of yeah. the book. You know, it was also just, a, the movies in the early eighties had a different, like is it pacing to them, especially kids yeah. movies. And so that's like a slightly dated thing about it. Um, it hits all the right beats, but I do feel like sometimes I was like, oh, we're already here. We're already here. Like, yes. it, it yeah. seemed to move that was weirdly. in the beginning was huge to me was like, oh, my God, we're already at this is our text dies in the first 30 minutes of this movie. Like I, that yeah. blew my mind. And I was like, like we in, passed in, in the my... Sphinx's gate and I'm like, there's only half an hour left or something. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. too short. Yeah, definitely too short. Because that was one of my other notes that I had here was just that. The biggest, the kid who plays Atreyu does a great job. Like, I think he does a really, really good job. He was nominated for several, like, awards for his performance. Mm. I think he's fantastic, along with Bastion. Um, but I think he, he really, our, Atreyu, since he is, like, our main character in Fantasia, we mentioned a little bit before, just I needed more backstory for him. I didn't know anything about him, and, like, I felt like I didn't, I wanted something to attach some more, like, you get what you need. And especially for a kid's movie, they're going to just latch on to him anyways. Cause he's a cool kid with a horse. Like I'm, I'm in, that's all I need. But like, I was looking, I would have liked if we had a little bit more of his backstory mm-hmm. to, and, and like where he was coming from and what his arc was going to be like, you mm-hmm. know, like where he was going. Um, we just kind of jump in and he's off on his journey and, and it works. It's just, I think if this again, and if it was two hours long or even an hour for whatever, I think we'd get a much more fleshed out um, version of the of the story, which would yeah. I think would help in some elements. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a little note uh, about um, the guy who did the electronic score. So he wrote the theme song, uh, Giorgio Moroder, who is a, mm. um, a very famous uh film composer and music producer um he's done tons of uh, film scores but he's probably more famous as a music producer he is uh known as the father of disco um and he's done um tons of electronic um music uh music produced uh, albums he's produced songs for donna summer Cher, blondie david bowie um my favorite band sparks and uh, many many more um so i just wow. want to throw it out. he's like a huge deal <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah it's pretty big he did the score for scarface as, that might stand out to you so oh, that's yeah. kind of like that kind of electronic kind of 70s uh 80s yeah. uh, electronic music sound and he was very very influential um cool. so yeah I had never heard the name didn't stand out to me. 
like a, you know it wasn't one of those names that jumped off the page but that's interesting i mean that's a that's a who's who's of yeah. artists of the day so mm-hmm. so the ivory tower <laughs> i didn't know room. if you were gonna skip this note or not <laughs> just go the for ivory it. tower <laughs> throne room and the ivory tower itself maybe a little bit yeah 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 <laughs> even the so ivory tower itself strongly vaginal yes I mean, it's not I, subtle at all. The, they, the walk subtle. in and the, the, the designs on the walls are, it's, I mean, it, it made me think, it was like, with, with between this and the Sphinx, I was like, did What's-His-Name work on this film? The the alien guy. Uh, uh, Rid- Geiger, Ridley H. Scott? H.R. Uh, oh, Geiger. Oh, H.R. Ga- <laughs> Geiger. I was like, because a lot of his designs are very, like, sort of, you know, sexual and, mm. and based in um, genitalia anatomy and, and anatomy yeah. and that sort of thing. I do think, um, but, like, in the book it's described like that, but <laughs> I this is it's described more as, like, a flower... <laughs> Um, like a magnolia kind of flower bulb yeah. kind of. Yeah. 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 Well, and the tower, the tower itself does look kind of like a flower in, in like, like, a, like a sort of, I don't even know what kind, but it does look like a more generic sort of flower. Mm-hmm. But what I specifically, what we both noticed is inside the throne room, the designs, the designs on the walls, on the walls are literally just, I mean, I go back I, and look like literally, <laughs> like there's a shot behind when a tray you walks in, if you look behind like, a tray yeah. on the wall, I was like, I don't know what else you would possibly it, it is, read that it, as. It, it I don't literally know. just is just female vet genitalia. Yeah, you know, yes. it's something that it's, I definitely never picked up on as a kid. It's no, one of those things yeah, that would go over a child's head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was very, it was very strange though. It was, uh, it was interesting. And I feel, I just feel like, especially with that particular scene, like it's a. a Atreyu going into the throne room yes. to meet the like. There's a weird implication. There's some there. very strange implications. It's there. a weird implication. But it is also the place where the where Fantasia is rebirthed from mm-hmm. at the end of the film. I suppose. Right, because yes. doesn't pretty much yeah. like kind yeah. of well. I guess like doesn't he end because he's in that well i have to i don't they're in a exactly, void kind of, kind of at the, the last yeah that's scene. right they're kind of in like more of a void no never mind i don't know if it works but that's probably what they were going for i don't know who cares <laughs> it's weird <laughs> it's, it's interesting it's a it's a very german choice that's all i'll say <laughs> there's it's a lot there's a lot being said <laughs> a lot going on there um my last note that i had for this section uh is that and i don't know hey, april have you ever seen the magicians the tv show the magicians? uh no i don't know what that is okay well, I don't want to spoil. Well, I guess I have to spoil. It's okay. It. I don't it's know. okay. Um, <laughs> you brought it up. I did. Yeah. the The ending of I realized watching this that the ending of the Magicians is literally the ending of the Neverending Story Part One, at least, where they <laughs> the world is destroyed and they yeah. it is rebuilt from the memories and like wishes and dreams of the people who once inhabited it or whatever, like, or a person who, you know, in, in the instance of never ending story is, um, a bastion who's, you know, read about it and, and, and yeah. created in his mind or whatever. Um, but am I, am I wrong? Am I crazy that that's no, exactly it, it what is, happens yeah. at the end of the, at least that's what happens at the end of the TV show. We haven't read yeah, the we books. Haven't, we don't know about the books, but. Um, but the magicians is like a hodgepodge of a lot of different yeah. pop culture it, it and is. fantasy. Um, 
influences. Yeah, so that it's makes a lot sense. of Harry Potter mixed with mm. a million other things, yeah. but um, it's it's actually pretty. It's it's a fun TV show. It's like a four or five season. Is this like a like show. a new show that's on now? No, uh, it just it just finished last this year, twenty twenty. Yeah. It was its last season. It ran for five seasons on Sci Fi, oh. um, and it was uh, it's based on a book series, and it uh, it's it's basically just about like oh, uh, it's a kid, uh, like it's like college um magic school basically is how it starts it's like these kids go to magic school in college versus like primary school Mm -hmm. um but then it branches out crazy from there and goes all kinds of places but it's very inspired by like a a lots of different like fantasy it's it's primarily harry potter and the chronicles of narnia yes but there's a lot of different like hodgepodge of stuff and and the ending of it does very much remind me of the ending of this which is interesting uh, my last note here is uh, were all the fantasy names um, changed from the original German um, because they don't sound German. And if that's the case, like, did they just make names yeah. up in English? And then there's a whole song later with Uyu Lala. Uh, and I was like, well, did they just translate essentially what the what the essential message was of this huge like song and then mm-hmm. then translate it and make it rhyme in english i i guess so but I, i'm confused <laughs> i mean i think they would have had to yeah translate and then rewrite to rhyme yeah i don't, you would I don't think know so. how else they would do it because it is interesting because i thought about that earlier when you said like oh fantasia is maybe a better translation from the german i was like well what the heck are the rest of these then <laughs> like what are all these other names because like none of them know. sound german no. or anything yeah and i was wondering like well maybe they're just what they were in the original and he he wrote yeah. intentionally not german like, quote-unquote fantasy fantasy names like fantasy that are just like sort names. of more generic i mean you know, definitely uh, some are just like you know like ng wook or, or yeah. that yeah. could kind of be any well, language i guess yeah and, and i feel like them, that's the case for some of them or some of them, them remind me of like a almost like a nordic mm-hmm. yeah they kind definitely of, like have the a ones feel. who start the ones that start with like why yeah, and arug- or arugula it's almost <laughs> I almost said arugula, and then I was like, wait, no, not arugula. Whatever that spider was called. Urgle? No. What was it? Urgle Fergle. I don't know. I don't remember. Y- <laughs> not y- arugula. Y- yeah. Um, but yeah, that is interesting. I would be interested to see yeah. what the names were in well, the original if we, if German. If we have any uh, listeners... I, we, I think we to, do have at least one German. Joining us from Germany, uh, maybe you could let us know if if any of the names are changed. Like, if that's how they appear in the, in the German text or yeah, not. Yeah, that would be interesting. Let us know before the next prequel episode, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So, All right. It's almost time for the final four. Before we get there, Kay, uh, not Katie, April, one more time. Anything to plug? Yes. Uh, I have a <laughs> podcast called No Such Thing as a Bad Movie Podcast, uh, where we watch bad movies. Um, and uh, we're available where most podcasts are found. And we also have a Patreon if you uh, want to subscribe. If you're on the $5 level, you get a little bonus episode every two weeks. And uh, if you're on the $2 level, you could be submitted for a lottery where every uh, couple months we'll do a draw and then you can pick an episode for us to talk nice. about or pick a movie Ooh. for us to talk about. And uh, yeah, uh, I would love it if you tuned in. Fantastic. All right, it's time. Let's do it. Final verdict. A two-part final verdict. Yes. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? 
Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. So first off, I'll note again that I'm reading this book for the first time. Uh, I don't have any super clear memories of watching this movie as a kid, so there's no nostalgia tied up in this for me. And I'm I'm not always able to give such a pure verdict. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it was engaging. I really liked that it was a smorgasbord of practical effects and makeup and costuming. Uh, like, I really enjoyed that I could tell that Falcor was a giant puppet and not just CGI. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing against CGI. I think it's easy to overdose on it, though. Um, and I also just like figuring out how practical effects were done. I yeah. think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That said, I think I'm going to call this one for the book keeping in mind that I haven't finished the book yet, so it's entirely possible that I'll hate the second half and want to change my mind on this one. We will find out in two weeks' time. You're calling this one for the first half of the I'm book. I'm calling this one for the first half of the book. Um, but I really liked being privy to Bastion's inner monologue. I thought that Enda did a good job of capturing childlike fears and anxieties, as well as the joy that comes from reading a book as a child, which is something that unfortunately can't quite be replicated as a crusty old adult. I also think there's something at least moderately unique about a story that is so dedicated to the idea of literature and storytelling and how reading can take you inside of a story, quite literally, in the case of the never-ending story. And for me, some of that meta-narrative is lost just by the very nature of changing the medium. So for those reasons, I'm giving this one to the book. All right, April, your final verdict. Okay. Um, well, honestly, I think both the book and the movie are great. Uh, a lot of things in the book are uh, different from the movie, but not necessarily better, just different. So I can't necessarily think one is better than the other. The movie obviously had budget constraints and it limited its ability to show certain scenes and certain creatures. And uh, while I do like that we get more character development in the book for Bastion um, and Atreyu, I'm going to give it to the movie and it's pretty much mostly for nostalgia. Um, I watched this like hundreds of times as a kid and um, just hearing like the music, it, it just like brings a tear to my eyes. It has a very emotional effect on me. And I don't know if this happens to you guys, but like if I like watch something or hear like a movie, like from my childhood, it doesn't have to be like happy or sad. It just like, has this like emotional effect on me just because like you heard it. I guess that's what nostalgia is, right? Just this like remembering yeah. Yeah. of something that um, was like really important to you or that you just like watched a lot. And the music is just so good and the book can't duplicate the music. So I'm, I'm giving it to the movie for the first half. Split decision. <laughs> uh, I don't, uh yeah we'll see about the second half but we got a split decision for the first half which is exciting uh we could satisfy everybody on this podcast this time we don't have (laughs) nobody will be upset (laughs) we get get to go both ways for it um but no that's uh i both really uh well well argued points on both sides and i um I've never read it, so I can't weigh in. But it, <laughs> from what you said, I think both of you had a, a lot of merit to what you said. It sounded it was a very fun and interesting discussion. 
Before we get to our up next, just want to remind everybody, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Uh, support us for $2, 5 $15 a month. Get different things at each level. That would be super fantastic. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all those different places. Uh, most importantly, follow us on those so that you can comment on the... Uh, the follow-up polls that Katie posts on Friday so that for the prequel episode, we can get your feedback, hear what you have to say about the never-ending story, whether you prefer the movie, the book, why, what your nostalgic emotions are tied up in uh, in the never-ending story film, how you feel about it, whether or not you cried watching our text die in the swamp of sorrows. If you didn't... You have no heart. You have no heart, but <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we want to hear what you had to say, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll relay that on the next prequel episode. Up next, it's not a surprise. Katie, what is it? Up next, April will be joining us yet again for The Never-Ending Story Part 2, the next chapter. The next several chapters, actually. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that what it's called? <laughs> the next chapter? It, it is, is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is the, the subtitle on it. I, I yeah. it did mention that like I, I've seen this movie like once, but I, I don't really remember much about it. But reading the second half of the book like a lot of crazy shit happens in it. And I'm like, they, this can't be in the movie. This can't Some, all be in the movie. Look, there's I don't remember shit. everything. <laughs> I don't remember everything, but I've seen that. I, like I said, for me, the second one, we had it on VHS or whatever. So it's the one I've seen a bunch of times. And there's some wild stuff that happens in the set. There's a bird person. There's lobster people <laughs> walking around. A tray you has little creatures that comes out of eggs. I don't even know what's going <laughs> It's wild. It's that, those are all things that stick out in my memories. Okay. Uh, there's like a horseless carriage full of crystal balls that are memories or wishes that steal. Me- I don't even remember. It's wild. All right. Well, um, so I don't know how many of those things are from the book, but that's join us in two weeks for all that. <laughs> yeah. So much going on in it. the second movie. Uh, all right. Uh, come back in one week's time for a prequels episode, and in two weeks' time for our discussion of the never-ending story, the next chapter. Until that time, guys, gals, not binary. Everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep keep being being awesome. awesome. Nailed it, April. (laughs) Well done. Well done. All right. (laughs) 